boom. And here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, this episode of the Joe Rogan Experience podcast is brought to you by Audible. Audible is the internet's leading provider of audio entertainment. Over 100,000 titles of awesomeness available on Audible. And what is uh, what is Audible? Audible is essentially books, um, radio shows, old lectures, stand-up comedy, audio entertainment, and a fantastic resource for audio books, including our friend Scott Sigler's uh, wonderful novels, fantastic fantasy, science fiction, doom novels, and uh, <laughs> Scott just couldn't be a cooler guy. Uh, Nocturnal is an excellent um, selection from the Scott Sigler collection, and uh, that's available at audible.com, and you can get one book for free if you go to audible.com forward slash Joe. You can get one free audio book and 30 free days of Audible service. It's just a fantastic resource. So many fascinating books, so many really interesting forms of audio entertainment that are available at audible.com, and it's just a really great thing to have if you're getting on a plane, if you're commuting every day it turns all that nonsense of being in your car or being stuck in a plain seat to actually an entertaining experience um i guess much like podcast i'm sort of like competing against myself with these things but whatever um i ain't scared uh, nocturnal get it it's awesome scott sigler's awesome audible is awesome audible.com forward slash joe and also if you have the whisper sync uh, application for the Kindle Fire HD. Kindle Fire HD is um, uh, a, a really amazing little uh, thing that you. It's like a, one of those readers, but it also plays movies. It does a lot of things. But with this Kindle Fire HD, you can get this Whisper Sync, and what it is is an application that allows you to read your book, so you can read it at home, and then when you get in your car in the morning. The audible version picks off exactly where you left the reading part. It's really cool. So oh, wow. a professional actor will read the book right where you left off uh, reading it by yourself. Really awesome stuff. Audible.com forward slash Joe. We're also brought to you by Onnit.com. Onnit is a human optimization website. What does that mean? That means we didn't have a better description for a website that sells cool shit that makes you work better. What we sell is kettlebells, battle ropes, all sorts of strength and conditioning equipment, all sorts of health supplements like Alpha Brain, which is a nootropic. Nootropic is a cognitive enhancing formula. It sounds like snake oil, sounds a little fishy. That's why we have, if you go to onnit.com and look at, click on the Alpha Brain logo, we have all sorts of clinical research that backs it. We have, uh, with references, studies, including our own study, one which we recently completed in Alpha Brain. Alpha Brain? I can't even talk. Alpha Brain clinical trial result, uh, double blind placebo, the standard method of scientific inquiry, the way you're supposed to do these things. Uh, we did one, got some positive results, and we're in the middle of doing a second one right now. All of it is much better explained at onnit.com than you get from a stuttering comedian. So go there, enjoy, uh, check out the different foods and the different supplements like hemp force. Uh, we have uh, two different flavors, Hemp Force Vanilla Acai and Hemp Force uh, Choco Maca. Uh, both of them are really healthy 
protein supplement um, alternatives when you're thinking about like taking a protein supplement. One of the best protein supplements you could take is hemp. It's super easily digestible by your body, and ours is very, very high in protein. The most expensive, finest protein powder that we can get, and we sweeten it with stevia, so there's very, very little sugar. Less than one gram or one gram per serving. And that's just completely naturally occurring sugar that uh, is in in the plant itself. Uh, Onnit.com, O-N-N-I-T. Use the code word Rogan and save 10% off any and all supplements. All right. Mark Kendall from Great White is here, and we're fixing to get busy. Hit the music, Jamie. Joe Rogan Podcast. Check it out. The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day. Joe Rogan Podcast by night. All day. Mark Kendall, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Right Thanks for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. It's, Thanks it's for great. having me, man. It's awesome. When I hear that there's a guy out there that's a celebrity that plays pool better than me, I get very excited. <laughs> and uh, according to our mutual friend, Jay Halford, he says you're the best celebrity pool player there is. That's a yeah, high mean, compliment. Yeah, that's a high compliment coming from Jay because he knows a lot about pool. But, I mean, I don't have to be the best all the time. I mean, I, you know, I'm... Definitely, I'm I'm capable of playing like you know a D player or whatever. I can just go just dog my brains out. But when I get going with my arm, you know, loosened up and I'm you know been hitting balls for a few days, I I, I can get in into a my you know play my speed. At yeah, least. that's you, you know for folks mean? who don't know, like pool player lingo. Speed is how like a guy will say, <laughs> "Oh, right. he plays a speed." You know, yeah. he he's got a, a great speed. That means it, and it doesn't even mean going fast. It just means no, yeah. your 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 game. Like there's a, you, you know, play. it's funny uh, in pool. There's there's so many different levels, though. It, I think it goes way beyond like A player, B player, C player. But I, I see guys that. I, I can't imagine playing better than this guy. If I ever got to this level, I'd like the bucket list would be totally happening. A- and he has to get weight from this dude mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And it's uh, it's almost confusing how many different. And what weight means is for folks who don't know the pool lingo handicap, is yeah, yeah yeah handicap meaning like say if uh, if Mark and I played and Mark's an A player and I'm a B player Mark would maybe like if we played nine ball Mark would maybe like give me the eight ball and what that means is like he would have to make the nine ball to win but I could win making the eight ball or the nine ball and right. oftentimes when right. you're you're seeing like. Really, even big name guys match up. Like I saw Rob Saez match up with Mika Eminen. They right. they play, and Rob Saez is a top pro. But Very Mika good. Eminen had to give Rob weight, and sure. he was, you know he gave him. I think he gave him the eight ball. Sure. And, uh, and that were, eight ball might not show up very much yeah. right on that level. <laughs> it might not. With you that, know, you know, but, when for folks who don't know, um, ten ball or nine ball, either one of them, they're rotation games, right. which means you play the one ball first, and then you go to the two, to the three, and then to win, you get the ten ball in. But yeah. to win with a handicap, you could give a guy another game. Like you could give a guy. I've seen a guy like Shane Van Bonig. Uh, he gives people like crazy games. Like he'll, he'll give someone like a two out. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The two out even. Uh, yeah. Know, I mean, if the guy can't play at all, I mean, you know, he'll give you every ball on the table pretty yeah. much. I, that means all you yeah. have to do is make the two ball and you win, whereas he has to make the two, three, four, and, five, okay, six, seven, eight. Okay, now imagine eight. this, how good this guy is. Uh, you know Corey Dole. I sure. mean, he's one of the best in the world. Shane gave him the five and six ball playing ten ball just now <laughs> up in the, the up north. 
And, it, you know, it was laughable. Like, even Corey laughed. He, I can't believe it. He goes, I guess I need the four and five. You know? Yeah, he beat him with the five and six? He beat him, yeah. With him so giving crazy. giving him the five and six ball and ten ball. Like, you know, it's crazy. But it really is not going to show up if he's breaking the way he does. You know, all he's going. Oh, there goes my money ball, and there goes my money ball. Like yeah. every game, you know, yeah. from the chair. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, even though it sounds like, oh, Shane's really giving something up here. It, it, you know, if he breaks, because that—that's the whole thing with him. Um, well, people, you know, some say he just breaks, you know, good or whatever. But that, you know, you know, that's crap. He, he this guy plays behind the break like crazy good. But, um, but that break is big when you get on that level of. You know, he's pro level. Yeah. If some guy is breaking like God and getting shape on the one and all this stuff, it, it, you know, and another guy is a dry breaker, but he plays like God too, the, the, the guarantee the guy that's the breaker is going to destroy the inside guy. lingo. Yeah. Dry breaker, breaking like God. What it's about is the initial shot on pool is the break shot. You smash the balls hard, and the balls go flying into the pockets, ideally. If they don't, you spread the whole table out, and then you leave a lot of shots for your opponent. The right. problem with a guy like Shane Van Boning is he breaks so good that you know almost almost every break, he's making one, if not two. I've seen him make five balls on the break, playing right. ten balls. And, and he gets shape on the one. That's the whole thing. Yep. And, and players complain about that and i don't understand it I, I'm, I'm like why are you complaining because this guy breaks good you know the answer to me would be work on your break yeah don't complain because some other guy's great it, you know well you're making too much sense there mark am i yeah you're making uh, too much sense you gotta <laughs> give people the opportunity to just complain about shit that's what they like <laughs> well you know uh, i complain about stuff break. Too. i know this guy is breaking <laughs> He's a fag. Well, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about, because uh, you know, because you're such a really good pool player, is there's there's something involved in like trying to get like really good at pool or really good at anything that requires an incredible amount of time. Where it's like yeah. the level of commitment that you have to have to get really good at that. I guess it's got to be kind of similar to guitar playing in a way, like the amount of practice that you have to put in, the level. Yeah. And that there's just levels and levels and levels to this stuff. I've had different loves in my life. I mean, I've I've always gone back to the guitar because I my family was there's just so much music in my family. My grandpa was a touring piano player. My dad is a jazz trumpet player. My mom sang music in the house all the time. But I, at the same time, I still played baseball from the time I was eight till I was eighteen. You know, and my dad's dream for me was to not be the big you know, a star musician because he just thought there was no chance at that. But <laughs> but to be the L.A. Dodger, you know what I mean? But you thought there was a chance at that more than there was a ch You must have played really well, good ball. I can tell you. Uh, no, I really didn't. I mean, <laughs> I, I, you know, I was a really good pitcher probably when I was like in Pony League. I was kind of known as one of the top pitchers. My arm started hurting when I was around 17, like after three innings. I would have my dad come out and take me out. You know, usually the guy comes out and says, oh, how are you feeling and all that kind of stuff. No, I didn't wait for all that. I, I told him, you know, put me on first, my arm's hurting again. I, I threw curveballs when I was like 11 years old, and everybody said, oh, God, he's going to throw his elbow out. That never happened. What happened was from fastballs, my arm got kind of jacked, you know. So after three innings, it was hurting. Not to mention, you have to be 
such a standout player to get scouted by some, you know, uh, by pro, you know, scouts, your numbers have to stand above the entire league. Right. I had two guys on my own team when I was, in, you know, this is 16, 17, 18-year-olds. Two guys on my own team hit more home runs than me, ran faster, threw harder. <laughs> you know what I mean? So my chances, at, and I even told my dad this when I made the decision I'm going full-time music and, you know, kind of say la vida baseball is I have zero chance to make it in baseball. None. Is, is that true? Did you really have zero chance or would it be, have to be something that you completely abandoned everything else and just threw your life at baseball? It seems like if you're really... I, I, well, I did. I mean, I, I really... I could have played maybe a different position, but I really wasn't... Um, I didn't have enough power to, I think... Who's going to skip over the two guys that are better than me on my team to, to go to man number three and let's right. sign him because he's just cool or something? Well, couldn't you, know you I mean? get better, though? Isn't it possible well, to get better? Yeah. Or is, are maybe there... I could have dedicated myself. And, and, I, and I do look back and say I wish I would have worked out with maybe some light weights, maybe gained some strength in my you arm. You didn't work out at all? N not really. Well, I mean, there it is. Uh, Pull-ups, you know, stuff that's, you know, PE, stuff like that. But I didn't do any – I didn't really train. And, and a back, different we time didn't then, have right? all the, you know, the video and the instruction and the pros coming camps and all that stuff. Right. It was just like go play, and you know, whoever had the natural ability, you know, he, right. he rose above everybody. You know, so um, it's just such a different game today with all the strength and conditioning. Even little league, and, yeah, everywhere. Yeah. Even little league. I'm watching these 12 year olds. They look like small professionals. They yep. all their mechanics are perfect. You know, um, fundamentals at the plate, they they look like little tiny pros, you know? Well, I'm fascinated by strength and conditioning programs now. I mean, it's one of the things, being a mixed martial arts commentator and getting to see the improvement that some fighters have had by incorporating strength and conditioning programs and getting to see, like, how scientific they've become and how, right. I mean, the, the, the different things that they work on. Like, I watched a video last night uh, with uh, Phil Davis, who's one of the top uh, UFC light heavyweights. Right. And he was doing this weird uh, exercise. It was this balance exercise where they're like, he's balancing on one one foot that's on a roller and they're throwing a ball at him and he's catching it with one hand and throwing that's it back so while he's balancing. It's like, you would think like, what 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 is this? Like, what are they doing? They're working on foot strength and stability and balance, balance and movement. Yeah. And it's just, there's so much science involved in strength and conditioning and getting better at athletics now. There's a, there, maybe, you know, when I, when I hear you speak, I, maybe there would be a chance for me to improve it if I really got into, uh, you know, working out and stuff. My, my, you know, the singer that's been in my band for like four years now, his name's Terry Aloose, and uh, he used to, he's been in martial arts for like 27 years or something. You know, he did uh, jujitsu, judo, kickboxing. He's worked with uh, Boz Rutten. Ah, cool. Uh, he, you know, he trained with him. He, he's an instructor. And uh, so he's got to get me going here. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a great thing to do just for just to make your God, body feel better. Body feel good. I bet it would really help. My nerves kind of get rattled sometimes, and I think I, it's because I don't work out enough. I don't have a strict routine. Mm -hmm. and I'm not taking supplements and all this stuff. You know, I hear, hear your commercials. Yeah, about the, the different uh, supplements and. Well, I don't know if we have anything that would really help nerves, but I. I Definitely think that exercise does. Exercise helps your nerves. I know oh, it does. For sure. I've, I have been, uh, 
dedicating myself to working out uh, kind of at home, but I'm not like running. I'm not doing enough cardio. Mm. I'm doing tons of sit-ups and you know, arm stuff and, you know, push-ups and stuff. Just, you know what, man? Get an elliptical machine and just put on a television show that you enjoy. Uh-huh. It's a great way to do it. You know, yeah. just get an I have an elliptical machine. I put it on and I, I put fights on. And I watch the fights while I just do the elliptical. Yeah, just not so, even thinking about yeah, it. I, yeah, it's just automatic. I just, I can't. I'm going to do it. I'm going to start getting into some cardio. It's one of those things where just, you force yourself to do it and then, you know, write it on a schedule mm-hmm. that you have to do it X amount of days. And then when those days are over, you'll feel the improvement. And then that becomes addictive, you know, that sure. f- feeling that I need to be addicted to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's easy to be addicted to bad things. But uh, sure. being addicted to something good is it's something that it's really difficult to force your just force your discipline you know force your body to go and like i'm going to be addicted to drinking fresh squeezed juices vegetable juices every morning yeah, and then taking awesome. a yoga class every day but if you did do that god the, it'd be the, incredible because i'm very compulsive when i get into things i have to become the greatest on earth with it and, you know i'm just like i've always kind of been like that so I, and i actually had an alcohol problem i'm you know um i was a beer drinker and I, you know I, Go ahead and throw it low on the food chain, but I got just as much pain as some other people from the abuse, you know? Right. Oh, listen, alcohol is alcohol. Whether you get it in the form of whiskey or whether you get it in the form of 12 beers a night, yeah, it's alcohol. You still wake up shaky and you're all screwed. And I I was able to get away from that that and, you know, kind of do other things and, you know, help people that are struggling and just, you know, channeling my energy in, in, in more positive areas, but... Do you find that, like, I've met a lot of people that are really great at things and really impulsive and really, you know, just the type of people that throw themselves in it the way that you describe. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you must have had to do that to get so good at guitar, and I'm sure you you did that to get really good at pool. But do you yeah. find that that's sort of like a part of your mind that can kind of get sidetracked and fucked with a drug? Like, and then that becomes, like, the thing that you become impulsive about. That becomes the thing that you yeah. get addicted to. That it, it Well, that's why they say it, uh, they call it uh, somebody that gets really addicted to a drug wasted talent because mm-hmm. they're so good at something and they're letting this drug of choice or whatever ruin this blessing that they've received that makes them great at something. And I, I was lucky to be able to get away from it. Um, but as far as the guitar goes, you know, I played since I was nine years old. It's just I did other things too. Mm-hmm. But when I became, when I was about fifteen, I was pretty obsessed with it. Like I, I would go to the liquor store literally with it strapped around me. <laughs> like, really? You know, yeah. I mean, playing the acoustic guitar. You know, playing Santana. I, I was when I was fourteen years old. I was literally in a band, and we only played Santana. Wow. A- and. Not even realizing that that would be considered a tribute band. I just go, no, Carl Santana's the greatest, and so let's just play his stuff. You know? <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, I just, you know, I've kind of always been that way, compulsive, but the difference with the guitar is I loved it. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't just compulsive uh, energy. It was It was because I loved music. I've always, even when I was a little kid and sitting by the hi-fi or whatever, Singing along to Girl from Ipanema, my mom and dad, don't, he sings in key. He's like, he, he hears it, you know. It's like the melodies are the notes that are coming out, you know, which I've had this ear from my parents. I mean, they, my dad 
had perfect pitch. You can hit piano notes and can tell you what they are and and stuff like that. So I have this ear. I could hear it. And when I first got records, I actually – that was one of my first albums right there. The, uh, Jimi Hendrix? Jimi Hendrix Experience. And I got Cream Disraeli Gears and um, The Doors, the Strange Days. And when I listened to that music, I only heard the singer. I, I literally wasn't even listening to the guitar. I was just singing the melody. You know what I mean? But then I started being able to pick up the chords uh, on my guitar, and I was very young, like 10, you know. No no uh, training? You just learned how to do it on your own? Well, I took a lesson from a guy, but I've only had one lesson. I've learned from a lot of people, just um, friends of mine, hey, man, show me that, you know, or whatever. Right. But uh, as far as a, a, a true sit down, pay the guy, you know, okay, show me how to play or whatever, it, it was this guy who was in this, like, surf band when I was, like, probably 10 or 11. And he was teaching me, like, Tom Dooley and – you know the stuff I didn't want to really. What's be- Tom Dooley? Hang down your head, Tom Dooley. Hang down your head and cry. <laughs> Never <laughs> heard it. Yeah, but it's just an old song, you know. Um, you know, kind of like Jimmy Crackcorn and I don't oh, care type wow. stuff. You know what I mean? But I guess you know you have to learn that kind of stuff. But I, I just, I was just uninterested. I want I. Probably, you know, when I tell kids that are coming up now, I, I say, you know, it's great if you got a good ear because you're, you're like halfway there. If you learn how to read and you, and you know, you know, all the theory and everything, plus you have the great ear, you're going to have it up on just about everybody, you know. Those are, those are the guys. Um, but to have that natural um, – I don't know. I have a natural feel for music. like, mm-hmm. um, And those are the people that inspired me to play are – you know, guitar players that just play from the heart, they they play notes because it's how they breathe. It's how they feel. It's, you know, they it's coming out of the pores of their skin. It's it's from the heart, the soul, whatever you want to call it. But those are the guys that made me want to play. I mean, Billy Gibbons doesn't bend notes the way he does because it's set it on a piece of paper somewhere. You know what I mean? So it, it, it's something you feel and, and I've – been fairly good at that um feeling you know notes and stuff and people have you know made comments about the way i play and stuff but it's just um you know it's just it's kind of the gifts from the like i said from my parents and my grandpa and everybody just sort of genetics and it's a, yeah it is it, it, because i don't think you just you know it's not me i i just don't believe that i i can just be born hearing music that well unless it would bled into me somewhere. You know what right. I mean? Right. I think there's definitely some in just born talent that some people have. It's just a matter so. of whether or not they pursue it. And there's also that thing that we were we were saying, the negative aspect of it is that same sort of the personality trait that gets you to be able to sit down and really explore music for hours and hours at a time, which mm-hmm. is what it takes to be a great guitarist, mm-hmm. can uh, many times manifest itself in addiction and yeah. manifest that same sort of just just throwing yourself at something yeah. and, and being completely engulfed in it for whatever reason a lot of times manifests itself in either alcoholism or drug addiction or or what have you it's so common yeah it is yeah i always kind of wondered i mean i i just think an addict is just an addict i really don't think the music has that much to do with it but 
I think a trigger for an, uh, you know, like say a, a recovering addict or whatever, he's out on the road, he's in this band, he has all this pressure from everybody telling him how great he is and everything, because that can become pressure. When people are telling you you're the greatest band on earth and you're the best guitar player in the world and all this stuff, you kind of just uh, don't want to take it serious and uh, it, it can drive you crazy. And I think that causes some people to numb themselves really to the reality I, so that's, I, I this is fascinating that, i found that um in, in a few instances uh this this friend of mine he was totally every time he would get close to being signed having a great opportunity he would just sabotage it with alcohol and you know mm-hmm. what i mean but but what he'd tell you I mean, I could see it from afar. I, I knew what he was doing. He he was trying to sabotage it because he was afraid, uh, kind of, of the pressure of being out there in the limelight. So, well, the, people w- are afraid of success. Yes, yeah, absolutely, common. absolutely. But I, I just think, you know, it, it kind of it's mind blowing um, that somebody fights their whole life to get somewhere and they get there and die out of a heroin overdose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't know what the analogy would be, but I, I that was just one of my thoughts is that it could be that the pressure of just being in the in the in the music world and stuff and having all this going on, you know, because it does seem to it, it seems as if it it happened like that, you know, you know, even though you've been grinding in the clubs and the, for years and years. It's like all of a sudden you're in arena, an arena setting. You got cameras all around, microphones. You know, people coming up to you. I, I I'm just making a, a guess at this. <laughs> I don't know right. what you think. Why people kill themselves? You know, with with drugs. Maybe it has nothing at all to do with that. Maybe they're just addicts. You could strip away all the music, and they're going to die of a heroin overdose anyways. I've got a know. lot of theories about it, and yeah. I I personally think that the environment of celebrity on that level to be in a band like Great White, fucking gigantic, huge arena band, and you're fucking on every magazine, and you're on the radio every day, and that pressure, the kind of pressure and recognition right. is totally alien for a human being. Yeah. I mean, the only people that ever got that kind of attention in the past were kings. I mean, even the leaders of tribes, of, they, they just never got that kind of attention. I just think it's completely alien to the human race and didn't exist until mass media was invented. Until right. the, the beginning of the 20th century, when they figured out how to broadcast things in movies and in, you know, in songs and records and then music videos and what have you. That that is not a part of human history. It's not normal. It's it may be normal to be the center of attention in a small group or even a large group. Right. But those people know you, and you're talking in front of them. If you're speaking in front of a, a group of people that want to hear your opinion on things, or if you're a leader, those those are all normal things. But mm-hmm. to be on a fucking stage yeah. playing guitar and twenty thousand people are going. Wah! That's alien. Well, it's um, just you know, alien. I, I was, uh, you know, a, a very shy person. I, I kind of worked on that over the years, but uh, you know, to go, actually to go out in front of three hundred thousand, which has happened a few times. Three hundred thousand. Yeah, we played in front of three hundred thousand people with a lot of bands. Like, I mean, you know, like Iron Maiden. Who cares how many and, other people uh, were there? Okay. You played in front we, of three hundred thousand yeah, yeah. people. And actually, oh believe it or God. not, I was not even remotely 
scared about it. I, I just went out and totally handled it. But if you put me in a setting like this, like with maybe 10 people around the room, then I, that makes me nervous. <laughs> you know, I'm serious. I, I don't know well, why that's that sort of the same way with comedy. I mean, I've never done yeah. anything with 300,000 people, but one of the things that will make you nervous more than anything is going on stage in front of two folks. Yeah. Two people in the audience is it's like, hard. oh, no. It's hard because you don't really feel it's just a sea of people i mean yeah. you're just playing you know it's you don't feel like every all eyes are on you or whatever but when you're playing like in at a wedding or you know it's like whoa man you know they're focusing in on my fingernails here and every, you know everybody, <laughs> my fingernails you know what i mean it's like whoa i mean yeah you know i think that that's what a lot of the the dealing with the pressure the reason why so many rock stars can't handle it or actors or i mean i think actors it's it's slightly different because it's not a live performance thing but right. just the accolades that they're getting it's all the same it's completely alien it's just you it's very very difficult to ask a person to be able to manage something like that that i mean who are you gonna, who are you gonna go to a psychiatrist or a psychologist they'd have never fucking experienced being on stage no. in front of three hundred thousand people and i actually thought about that when you were speaking earlier i go maybe they should have like a, you know rock and roll psychiatrist <laughs> have ozzy to, you know, to go, yeah go see my Get your wife to run everything and just sit in the background night. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, my manager was actually English, and, and he told me one time, he goes, Kendall, don't even read your own press. Don't believe it for sure. Do not believe your own press. And, and it's better just to not even read it. Don't sit there and read stuff about people talking about uh, how much feel you have and, you know, or whatever. And if you don't take yourself too seriously, that's probably the best way to kind of cruise through your, you know, stuff. Obviously, you celebrate with your family and friends and, and dig it, man. We just got this cool thing and you want to share it with them. But as far as like, you know, taking yourself too serious, I mean, it's probably best to stay away from all it's that. It's brutal. The worst <laughs> yeah. thing is talking to someone who uh, has moderate or good success in, in show business and all they want to talk about is their success in show business and all the great <laughs> things that they're doing. It's like, oh my God, dude, you're fucking killing me right now. <laughs> You're killing me with this stupid fucking stroke you're doing to yourself. This exactly. ego stroke. Yeah, it's uh, it's also think about that. Think about the idea of reading your own press. That's another fucking alien thing. The the alien thing of reading perhaps hundreds of other people's opinions about you. Yeah, valid and then, and then and invalid. one guy says something bad, and you go, oh, "Fuck! It. I'm gonna you know choke this guy." I have a theory about that too. <laughs> I uh, I I think that that is like snake venom. And that if you're not exposed to snake venom and you get it, it can really fuck you up because snake venom is, you know, it's toxic. Sure. But if you get a little bit of it all the time, then it becomes something you're immune to. And then you go, oh, look, a shithead. Some <laughs> negative asshole. Exactly. The thing about negative people, and mm -hmm. this, is, this is a really important point, is... Sometimes they have a point, and you can learn from them. Mm -hmm. Sometimes negative people say things that you don't want to hear, you don't like it, but then you, you read it and you go, ooh, there's something there, there's something mm -hmm. there, this mm -hmm. is a point there. You could use them, but for them, God, being that person is so damaging to you, to, sure. to them, to the to person them. who's being negative. Oh, absolutely. They don't even realize it. They think they're yeah. hurting you. It's like, poison. you could talk shit poison. about a person, me, or talk shit about you all day long, but it doesn't change the fact that you're still Mark Kendall. 
You know, I to, know. you're still who you are. You're still this badass fucking guitarist. They can't change who you are by saying something mean. But no. what they do do is they change the, their very essence, their very energy that they're spreading out to the right. universe. The, what they're putting out to all the people around them, to their the the people that come in contact with what they're projecting. It's they're just putting out shit, and that's <laughs> a, a good percentage of people. If you read their blogs, if you go to their Twitter pages, if you listen to their you know if someone has a negative radio show or a podcast or whatever, what you're hearing is just all this fucking horrible stuff. Nothing right. good, nothing positive, nothing encouraging, and that's who they are. That's the world they that's live they in. Are. It's not like they do that and then they go take yoga classes and then they're they're kissing puppies and hugging people all day. They don't you don't <laughs> pump out negative shit and then go out and be a beautiful, wonderful person and go, "Hey, that's all just show business, man. The mm-hmm. real me is loving and kind and super cool to be around. I just act like an asshole on Twitter. No, you're an asshole, you know? Like, right, right. And you can learn from assholes you can get something from them but points and things yeah yeah, a little bit i look i've i have read things that are very negative about me that may be totally unjust but i could say is it possible that someone else could think like this and could it be like does it make sense that they could think like this and if that's the case if it's defensible then i should probably work on whatever aspect of my own personality that's causing this opening to be there sort of Mm -hmm. like in a martial arts standpoint if if like if you're a bad motherfucker in jiu-jitsu, like say if you're really good at jiu-jitsu and you got yeah. a great arm drag and you're great at taking people's back and you choke people on a regular basis, but if someone gets your back, you got no defense and you tap out really quick, you need right. to work on that. Like that's something sure. that you need to figure out. Like why do I tap when someone gets my back? That's real. That's a real thing. And totally I, real. The, that analogy, I think, presents itself in the, the martial arts analogy presents itself when you're dealing with a lot of different people that are critiquing your work or a lot yeah. of different people that are putting things out there, and they can fuck with you. I have a friend. I'm not going to name names, but he's a fighter, and um, he and his wife they they had a huge problem because. He was like there was negative uh, someone saying negative things about him and her on Twitter or on mm-hmm. Facebook or I forget where it was, <laughs> but they were just just you know just being an asshole, just, just saying mean, really yeah. mean nasty stuff about it, him and his wife, yeah. the, the way they look and about her the way she looks, and it was devastating to them to the both of them. And you would think like here's a guy he's a fucking cage fighter and he's right. fighting professionally, you know right. he's really a bad motherfucker, but. This the words of some thirteen year old kid where you know he's waking him up in the middle of like you fucking shithead yeah like, that's crazy I I've, I've been down this road you know well with haters not people that are just slightly negative or whatever but just people that just all they do is go say you suck and you know you're you know or whatever that that's what they do those people and I've even. You know, as a band, we talked about it. Don't give them any energy whatsoever. Yeah, nothing. Just let them hate away. You yeah. know what I mean? Good luck with that. Because you don't want to feed back with, you know, I'm not going to feed back with somebody that's saying something that makes no sense whatsoever. And it doesn't change who you are. It, does you know, change, it doesn't do anything. I'm still going to be, yeah, yeah. exactly. That's what they not, don't yeah. understand. Yeah. They think that they're going to sort of define you and somehow and minimize you. And like, they're not going to come to my shows anyways. No, of you course know, not. Only my fans come to the shows. Well, not only like that, the they probably want to be you you know <laughs> they probably had 
like a failed musical attempt and you know they look at you and this fucking good, guy good with simple bullshit music I'm tired of his fucking chords I'm tired <laughs> of the way he shakes his head when he plays fuck that asshole but what, what's yeah. really driving them nuts what's really yeah. driving them nuts is their own personal failure yeah when's your next album coming yeah. out exactly <laughs> do you think Michael Jordan goes on YouTube videos and talks shit about people you know what I mean <laughs> Michael Jordan's busy he's busy That's being Michael Jordan example. winners don't have time to be fucking haters on YouTube no <laughs> they just exactly. don't and, and it really makes you look bad especially a high profile dude you know fighting back with somebody oh I yeah mean, listen I've made that mistake before just yeah. thinking I was being cute uh, <laughs> trying to like get, I'll show them. But then you're like, what am I doing? Like, why? Yeah. Why am I showing them? What am I? What? What, what, am, I, what am I trying to accomplish here? Yeah. But it's like, well, I did it. I treated people that would like say mean things to me like I would treat a heckler, right? You know, like a heckler at a comedy club. But that's a completely different situation. Sure. A heckler in a comedy club, you have to address. I mean, it's sure. you're, it's being forced upon you. I've Whereas, never been involved. Uh, um, really seen that? I've seen a few comedians, but have you got a guy going, "You suck"? Or, uh, or Oh, have I? Really? Oh, my goodness. What, oh, you, my goodness. How do you deal with that? You just deal with it. Some people, like, I know some comedians, they'll they'll say things to the dude, like, you know, I, I don't know how. Or do you just act like he's not there? No, you oh. can't act like they're not there. Okay. Because the, what, I, I came up at the comedy store in Hollywood. And the right. comedy store, the, the problem with the comedy store is the benefit of the comedy store. And that's that the insane people are running the asylum. It's all patients. That's right, all right. the comedians run the place. The right, doormen right. are all comedians. The guy working the cover booth is a comedian. <laughs> yeah. I'm not bullshitting. Everybody, no, the guys that seat people, they're comedians. And then the comics also go on stage. The only thing that's not a comedian is the guy that books the room. So, I mean, it's it, there's no crowd control. Like, none. So, oh, when yeah. you would go on stage there, and you're also dealing with Sunset, Hollywood. Yeah. You're dealing with a lot of people also that... They have aspirations that are unrealized. They they mm. want to be famous. They want to be an actor. They want to be a musician. They want to be something. And then here they are sitting in the audience looking for something wrong with you <laughs> or needing attention that they're not getting. Like what? a lot of those people are fucking black holes of attention. You could stuff them full of trash and meteors and everything. They're never going to fill that fucking hole. It's impossible. And so they sit in the audience and the guys on stage, they'll just, they don't even know why. They're just compelled to interrupt. They're compelled to yell out sure most clubs like say if you work at a real nice club like um say like the improv on melrose right. which is a very nice comedy club sure. they fucking kick people out right away when you do that if you're oh, one of those oh. black holes that right. just sucks and just you just want attention they'll touch you on the shoulder sir you're gonna have to leave they'll pick you up and then they boot you out ha but let me tell uh, answer this uh, have you ever been totally just like Boot off stage. I mean, just like oh, oh yeah, yeah. I've bombed. Really? I've eaten dick. On I know stage. Jim Carrey has told stories that where he literally they would not let him continue a show. <laughs> yeah, he was, most likely it's because you suck. Well, yeah. Well, no. You know what he was doing is uh, he, he got away from the whole impression thing and he was just starting to go out on stage with no material whatsoever. Oh, you can't do that. That's un yeah. I mean, you can if you're some people can do that. We yeah. do a show called Thunder Pussy. We mm -hmm. do it sometimes at the Ice House, and the premise mm -hmm. of the show is that the audience will yell out topics, mm -hmm. and you will riff on it. I've done oh, okay. two of like them. Improv vibe, yeah, yeah, but it's it's stand up. You're doing stand up on these subjects, but you're sure. going out there with no material. That's and crazy. I I've done two of them. They're really fun, but yeah. the audience knows what they're getting into. 
Right, right. If you're going on and you're doing a show, and I don't think Jim Carrey's that kind of comedian anyway. I think Jim Carrey's like a big slapsticky. I think he's very funny. Like his old stand-up was really good, but he's more like big impressions and slapsticky. And for right. a guy like that to go on stage with no material, well, he got blown up because of it. Uh, it was actually in his bio. It was a and it was someone else talking about the show mm-hmm. where he was going out. He was a cockroach and he's trying to climb under the piano and <laughs> doing this crazy, 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 you know, like body contortion stuff, you know, um, and uh, just kind of kind of winging it because that's where he kind of felt comfortable. He didn't want to become like the rich little guy that was just going to go out and do these and supposedly he's pretty good at impressions. He's very good at impressions, yeah. But, uh, you know, so he, he didn't want to do that, so he tried to do something else. He, and it didn't more work. of an improv thing. Well, that just means it didn't work. You know, I mean, right. he he probably deserved getting booed. Look, I know that every time I bombed, it was because I sucked. That night, yeah, yeah. Every time I bombed, it was my fault. Sure. I mean, there's been terrible audiences, and I don't. I forget who had that line. Like, it's a it's a common line that comedians use. Like, because mm. like every, there's a saying in comedy: "There's no bad audience." Right. That's bullshit. There's some fucking terrible audiences. Yeah, sure. But, you know, if you go on stage in that terrible audience and someone else gets them, someone else figures out how to crack the code. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just could be a really crazy Rubik's Cube that you don't know how to crack. But... (laughs) But when you bomb, it's you're bombing because you, it's you're being unsuccessful. I mean, mm-hmm. it could be in a completely unfair environment. Like it could be a guy like uh, Dimitri Martin, who's like a real slow burn, sort of a deadpan, very funny comedian, mm-hmm. but very low energy. And he could maybe go on a show where there's a black guy who's singing and doing backflips and right, fucking right. lighting his asshole on fire. Right, and right. Could be some craziness. And then you ask a guy to do like real slow pace deadpan comedy afterwards they don't get it it's the wrong vibe it's like say if great white Mm -hmm. um had to go on after like say uh an opera singer in in an opera house it's totally wrong opera fans yeah totally (laughs) wrong environment and the difference in stand-up comedy than in music is like if someone goes to a rock club you're gonna see some rock you know you're gonna see a rock you don't go and just see live music and it could be like a country singer followed by a rapper followed Mm -hmm. by a death metal you know you don't have that it's like it's very clearly defined but comedy is just comedy you don't know what you're gonna get you could you go to a comedy club like the 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 store on sunset strip you're gonna get 15 different comedians in a night and all of them with different styles well in europe um we've done shows over there that are such a wide range of people (laughs) blow your mind and i mean we've played with black sabbath bob dylan this is on the same stage same day you imagine it's like Okay, let's play War Pigs and go into, you know, Stairway to Heaven. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like Bob Dylan, Black Sabbath, Iggy Pop, um, Buddy Guy, who's a blues guy, you know, just full of straight head of blues. Um, and people went just as nuts for Dylan as they did anybody else. I, I mean, so the people there, they're just there to, you know, hear great music, uh, different styles and, and whatever. Over here, promoters would never take chances like that. Right. It has to be Scorpions, Van Halen, you, you know, everything in the same kind of genre or whatever. This was in England that you did this? No, it was in Denmark, actually. Denmark. Denmark. Do you find that um, – I personally find that there's uh, – they're more patient and more um, polite 
in a lot of other countries than in America. Yeah. You know, um, the other thing is uh, I did things there that I wouldn't normally do, never do here, like go out in the crowd and watch bands and stuff. I go, it's not like I'm Eddie Van Halen. Nobody's right. going to know me. I mean, you know, so I went out and I'm watching like, you know, buddy guy who's influenced Hendrix and all these great, you know, right. and I wasn't really that familiar with him at that time, but he went through this, like this segment that was about 10 minutes of, he goes, uh, here's the stuff that Eric Clapton got, and here's the stuff Hendrix took from me. And, you know, oh, and, so he's and, asking for he's, uh, he's kind of, credit. He's kind of, yeah, he was kind of milking the credit. I wasn't really that impressed by that part, but it it is fact. And I guess he kind of wants people to know it's fact that because here he is kind of not really super known, and Hendrix is – you know, God monster, you know, one of the greatest ever. And he was just amazing. But he wants people to know that Hendrix borrowed from him and because he hasn't got his accolades that he right. thinks he's he due. doesn't. Do, yeah, so he's he going, hey, man, he if it wasn't for me, there'd be no. <laughs> you can't do that <laughs> yourself, though, right? It's kind of I, I, I don't like it. I, that's yeah. what I, you know, I was just mentioning it. You know, I'm not here to. Going on your show to bash Buddy Guy or anything? <laughs> <laughs> well, Buddy Guy's amazing. I mean, there's yeah. no doubt about it. But well, it's just yeah. he probably doesn't have the perspective, you know, to, to yeah. know that you don't need to say that, man. Everybody already knows it. I mean, every I'm not I'm not a musician. I know zero about how to play music, but I'm a big music fan. Oh, sure, me too. Well, you 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 play though. I, I mean, play, you're a great but I'm, I'm a huge music yeah. fan, geek man. When I meet right. my heroes, I. You know, uh, five years ago, we did a show with ZZ Top, and, and uh, their tour manager used to be our tour manager. And I go, you better hook me up with Billy Gibbons. I want to do, like, one-on-one -on -one hang, you know. Right, right, right. I want some hang time with this boy. <laughs> and uh, and uh, he hooked it up, and the dude with the, the most soulful – you know, he, here here's an example. Okay, I don't feel worthy sometimes of – of the response, you know, like uh, here's an example. I go to uh, Japan, our band goes to Japan. We get off the airplane, it's like 2,000 people screaming, and I'm going, Hey, we're not Mike Tyson. I mean, you know, we're not like Van Halen, or you know, we're just this little band. Um, but I understand it because I'm a I'm such a, a fan myself, you know, right? I, I'm, and that's what I was trying to explain to Billy Gibbons. I go, you know, you got to understand the memories you have created for me are like so incredibly important. I, when I hear some of their songs, I, I go, "The apartment's fifteen years old, plane waiting for the bus." You know, I mean, I I have visuals from music. I, I literally a, a picture comes in my mind from hearing a song, and, and when a guy's that. Inf that much, has that much influence on me to meet him in person and have him be soulful down to earth. And, you know, he, he, uh, he emailed me that night and I, I didn't even get home. I didn't get the email for two more days. It's like, nice meeting you, you know? And then when ZZ top played in Palm desert, that's where I was living at the time. Uh, he, he goes, Hey, come on down, Mark, bring your crew and all this stuff. Like the guy knows me. He remembered me. I, I, I'm just like shocked, but, but I, I get fans, you know, sometimes I don't feel, you know, worthy uh, of some, some of the attention and stuff, you know, I'm totally grateful, but, um, but I, like I said, I understand it because I am, you know, you're a fan. I, I'm a total fan because 
I have my heroes. I mean, the guys that made me want to play guitar. Do you find that that's uh, something that some guys lose, like as they become professionals and then as they become like better in music and become like a big time music guy, that they kind of stop being a fan of music? Hmm. That happens with comedy. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not really. I can only kind of speak for myself on that. I, I. I'm still friends with like a lot of guitar players that didn't make it. You know, I was just a, one of the lucky ones. Mm -hmm. I think part of the reason I was lucky is I tried to put myself in a position to get lucky, which is by playing more. And believe it or not, it's Van Halen that influenced that on me. They were playing more than everybody. They played three blocks from my house in a backyard in Almani. I paid one dollar to get in. You know, the singer. Wow. Roth was blowing a tube inside of this guy's drums and, you know, I'm going, whoa, man, these guys are, are, you know, I was, I thought they were great and everything. They were playing cover songs and they played a couple originals, I think. But what I was more impressed by, at least at that time, was how often they played. They, they played every single night. And I go, we got to do that if we're going to have any chance, you know, because my thinking was if we play more than everybody, we might have to play free a lot, but... If our name, you know, we might be able to brainwash people in thinking they're supposed to like us, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, so, and that's what happened, though. It was that persistence. It was that playing free, um, getting our name out. Um, we just happened to be at the Whiskey one night uh, playing uh, during the week, not even a big night or anything. And, and the right guy was in the crowd. that like, And he came up, gave us his card. And before you know it, we're, we're recording. We're we got airplay. We don't even have a record deal. I mean, we our record deal was literally borrowing 15 grand from some guy named Fred. Hey Fred, you got 15 grand? Yeah, okay. So but we had a distribution deal. So but this manager we had called Alan Niven, he was from England. He used to work for Virgin Records. He had signed Berlin, he signed Motley Crue and a year before this and um then they would sell these bands off to big labels. Well, he got us on KMET when we had no deal and no local bands were on KMET and Kale West with no deal. It was just unheard of. And But that, I don't know what kind of connection he had to so do. So it was just a matter of you being persistent and playing yeah. all the time and right. this guy saw. That's such an yeah. important lesson for, for young people who are thinking about doing something. Sure. Opportunity presents itself when you just fucking bust your ass. And dream it. And dream, dream it. it. We literally dreamed things and, and used to pretend. I mean, we pretended standing in the living room like we were playing the forum. The forum, good night. Really? Know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we used to pretend like we were doing interviews. Me and my wow. singer, we used to go, so how long has the van been together? You know? Were you guys naked when you were doing this? We just made up things no we weren't naked but, but we were uh that would make it extra fun we were getting yeah that could have been kind of cool but uh you know it, it's it's that pretending but when it becomes a reality you know like i'm six years before i was on the forum stage in los angeles i was watching ted nugent swinging through this this arena and it wasn't even a a possibility that i would ever be on that stage playing was he on a buffalo or something when he was swinging he through? swings i forgot where he swung like out of the crowd on this big rope you know wearing like leaves and <laughs> <laughs> do you know him 
Oh yeah, yeah. I, I want to meet that dude. D- Ted Nugent is an intense. You should have him on your show. I would love to. He passed though. I think he yeah. thinks I'm a liberal. Oh, because I, I smoke a lot of pot. I think he probably thinks I'm. Uh, oh. I'm and I'm anti-war, but I hunt. I and uh, mm. I also uh, I'm into archery. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of things that we agree on. He's he's. I, I think he's a fascinating character. He's a deep dude, and and you know I wouldn't we, go that far. We. Well, I just mean he's <laughs> he's kind of a. Uh, I mean, he is in a lot of ways. Yeah, I'm I'm not saying that he's not. He has a lot of opinions. Let's yes. just put it that way. Well, they're well thought out. I don't know if yeah. I would necessarily agree with all of them. But they're very but, well thought out on his side. He's. Yeah. Uh, He's got a lot of really intense ideas when it comes to hunting and conservation and preserving the wild. He knows a lot about that, that's yeah. for sure. I just think that – I think he thinks if I had him on that I would attack him. What I would do would be the complete opposite of that, honestly. Sure. I'm Stranglehold, one of my all-time favorite songs. It's one of my all-time – like if I'm uh, driving around in my car and I need some uh, a good jam, I'll throw on Stranglehold just out of nowhere and just always picks me up. Well, check this out. Five years ago, we did a show – with with uh, Ted in Canada in London Ontario, and I stuck around to watch his show because uh, I knew one of the crew guys who used to work for us, and and he took me around the stage during the day. He goes, "You're not going to believe this. All these cabinets, all these guitar cabinets on the stage are all live. Like Ted is coming out of these speakers everywhere. It, it's." Like it's not normal, like the amount of guitar. I mean, his ego's so so huge, you know. But I love that. And and, and anyway, so what I does said, that mean? What do you mean by that? I'm not. I'm um, not sure what you're saying. Well, usually, like you know, you you have your like I have two cabinets working. I might have sixteen cabinets up there, but only- so cabinets are these stacks of speakers. Yes, is that what it is. Yes. Okay. And, and usually, uh, two you put two in stereo, and it's plenty. How many are on stage total? Um, like a big... I've had up to like 16 cabinets before. So there's 16 cabinets on stage for the whole band? No, just for me. Just only. for you. Yeah, wow. sometimes. I mean, um, we played a show the other day. I had eight. You know what I mean? It depends on how big the stage is, but you're not used. They're not all live. Well, Ted has everywhere he goes on the stage, Ted will be there coming out of speakers. You know? <laughs> so it's so not, the, the not band, normal. It, it, it's just Ted, man. He, you know, he wants to be loud and, you know, but it's not really normal to have working cabinets all over the stage. You know, you have monitors and, right. and stuff like that. But um, what I was going to get to that I, I, it gave me chills almost that, um, because I'm like you, I, I you know, stranglehold and, you know, Fuck being, great song. being a teenager and when that album came out and everything. Um, but the whole band went back to the hotel, and I'm on the side of the stage, and he goes, he's going, how about that gray white? How about that gray white? He's going, could you feel that rock and roll spirit? He goes, they got that rock and roll spirit. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, and I can feel that rock and roll spirit in the air and not here. Yeah. And, and he literally introduced the song that way. He, he's saying that how we had the rock and roll spirit, and he goes, and, you know, and, and he went into Wang Dang Sweet Pin Tang. He was like, bang, gang, 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 gang. Barbecue, dan, 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 dan. yeah. <laughs> and he did that. He did that for way longer than the album. You know, dan, gang, 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 gang. I mean, it was just great, man. The dude is so intense live. Yeah, he's he's definitely a trip. I saw him do the national anthem uh, at a football game. 
Uh, it was on television. It was, <laughs> it was fucking incredible. I mean, it was all just guitar, a guitar right, version right. of the national anthem. But people who fucking sleep on how good he is at the guitar need it's to watch that. Good. Oh, I mean, it, it's a really amazing version of the national anthem. I mean, it's just fucking incredible. And the it just there's artistry to it, you know? You, know, you talk about his hunting. When he first uh, hooked up with Jack Blades, who's a friend of ours, because he produ- he's the bass player for Night Ranger, writes a lot of songs for Aerosmith and Motley Crue. He's done a lot. He's a big songwriter. And anyways, he made this band called Damn Yankees, which he had Ted Nugent playing guitar. When Ted Nugent came out to his ranch in uh, Santa, Santa Rosa, within 20 minutes, he, had a, he was boiling a squirrel in a pot. <laughs> that he'd shot on his property. Boiling I mean, this a squirrel. Like, Whoa. <laughs> I mean, you know, he's, he's already out shooting stuff. I mean, it's just crazy. Boiled squirrel. Yeah, wow. I don't know about that. That's what, commitment. What happens? A fur, mint, fur comes off? Or? Uh, yeah, yeah. You got to skin it. I've had squirrel. I had squirrel recently. My friend Steve Ranella cooked a squirrel that he shot. Hmm. Uh, it doesn't taste like anything else. It doesn't taste like chicken or it's like not like all gamey or anything. No, like it wasn't gamey. gamey. Oh, it didn't taste bad. I mean, it tasted good. I mean, he knows. My friend Steve Ranella is uh, the host of this show called Meat Eater. He's mm-hmm. a professional hunter and an author, and he he knows wow. how to cook game. So I mean, you get a lot of really uh, cool guests on your show, uh, different walks of life. And yeah, that's, that's really cool that you can handle all that. That you're, you're well versed in different subjects and stuff like fitness and. Well, I'm very fortunate, you know, that I can talk to all these different people. It would be incredibly rare to be able to sit down and just have long-term, you know, long-form conversations, two, three-hour conversations with just a bunch of random people like that, you know, whether it's Steve Rinella or I've had David Lee Roth on or all yeah. these different characters and musicians and artists and, you know, pretty cool man. actors and strength and conditioning coaches and it's just... It's interesting to have uh, a bunch of different people. Oh, with by the way, I wanted ideas. to tell you something. Um, I wrote a Joe Rogan song. No way. Yeah, I wrote a little blues. Uh, a Joe Rogan song? Yeah. A Should I hear it? About, Should I leave the room? A song about you. <laughs> Seems weird if you play and I'm in the room. I can okay, handle it, though. I won't, I won't play no, it. No, you can play it, please. I'm honored. I'm, it. I'm just kidding. Yeah. You want to play it now? No, I, just whatever. I don't care. Oh, well, if you have it now, we can play it now. Well, now yeah. that you brought it up, it seems like the best time to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't chicken well, out. Come on, man. Play the song about me, dude. Yeah. yeah. Don't be announcing something and then uh, say, well, I'm not going to play it now. Man. Well, I'm excited that you brought the guitar because I wasn't sure if you were going to. You know, Joe's a busy man <laughs> from his head down to his toes. From Los Angeles, baby, down to Mexico. This show will pulverize you, leave a little smile on your face. His timing's impeccable in a timely kind of way. You know, we get what I want. And that's a guarantee, oh yeah. <laughs> hey Joe, yeah, where you going, man? 
head Joe Yeah With that little gun in your hand Head Joe I've been trying to get a hold of you for days Head Joe Now you got me Singing purple haze You know Joe's a busy man In this busy, busy land Hey Joe I am very honored Yeah But that might be the worst song I've ever heard in my life (laughs) Sorry dude (laughs) Okay I'm playing the faster one Hey Joe Sorry, dude. No, please. That's awesome. I'm just kidding. I couldn't. Like, I have to make fun of it. Scott, I don't give uh, haters any energy, anyways. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> when you sit down and write music, do you have like um, an idea in your head when you sit down and write, or you just start strumming and like, how does? No, I, I have ideas. I'm actually, you know, the past few years when I get a riff in my head. Usually when I'm in writing mode, like we're going to do a record soon or something, I used to not really be able to get that close to what was in there, but I've been able to kind of get closer uh, these days. And one thing that I've learned over the years, and that is when you have this energy and this thought and this, this musical idea, whatever it is, make sure when you're vibrating at that wherever you're at at that moment to record it because Mm -hmm. if you don't do it the following day you might not forget the riff but it it won't have the same energy the delivery will be way different it might not be the same rhythmical thing so it's best just to don't be lazy if you have this huge idea like at midnight or something just grab your phone or grab something and 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 put it on tape so you don't lose it you know because i've lost a lot that's Uh, so that's very analogous to comedy yeah. In stand-up comedy, it's the same thing. Sometimes sure. you have these ideas, and you just have to jump on them. Like, if yeah. I have an idea, sometimes I'll be lying in bed. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to forget that. <laughs> I'll go back to sleep. Yeah. And then I wake up in the morning. Fuck, what was yeah, that? I learned that the hard way. I, I, I don't know if you've ever watched or heard uh, Rodney Dangerfield's story. Do you? No, uh, what is it? His story, uh, the way his career and stuff. Well, I know of his career. I mean, is yeah. it is it like an actual documentary called Rodney Dangerfield Story? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, called Rodney Dangerfield. Well, story? no, it's. No? Uh, I I'm not really sure what it, what it was. It, it was one of these uh, A and E biography. Okay, kind of kind of vibe, but but it's it just an amazing story because he. Uh, he was a comedian, and then he pretty much retired when he was 29, and his wife was a singer, so they decided to retire together, just get out of this stupid music stuff, you know, or whatever, and, and comedy stuff. So he left the business, but he never quit writing jokes. He hated this straight gig, you know, of beating a, uh, being a siding salesman yeah. you know, or whatever, you know, uh, doing siding for people's uh, homes or whatever. And but he, so he never quit writing jokes. So he literally writes jokes for like eleven years. He just has a duffel bag full, right? Comes back, but when he came back, they they had like Bill Cosby. You know, they had you know this dude was he called himself Jack Roy, and 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 they had Bill Cosby coming up, George Carlin, you know, um, 
you know, just, uh, you know, they had Lenny Bruce. They just had all these, these killers. And they're going, Jack, I mean, you know, your material is a little better, but you're a used commodity, you know. You're, you, look, we got all these guys now, you know. So he goes to this club and he goes, okay, I won't be Jack Roy. He goes, just pick any name. Just make something up and let's. I'll just go with that. I'll be in this other guy. So the guy comes up with Rodney Dangerfield for his name, right? So he does this show and kills. He just destroys the crowd. I mean, they, they're just, you know, socks and shoes and bodies piled against the back window. And, and you know, so he goes, maybe this is the name for me, you know? <laughs> and, and, uh, but, but it, it literally, when he started out, it, he didn't really know what he was doing. You know, he, he had, uh, you know, doll or, you know, um, just all kinds of different like things. He wore wigs. He did puppets. He, you know, he didn't really have any direction. He he was just doing all kinds of different stuff. When he became the one-liner master, you know, like literally all these jokes are constructed perfect. He doesn't go one word off. I mean, but he does have to write the stuff. But it, it's just an amazing story that the guy makes this huge comeback at 40. Yeah. And literally has this monster career and movies. And, you know, supposedly uh, the story goes when he – when he was asked to do Caddyshack, they said action, and he didn't even know what the action meant. Like, he was so green. He, <laughs> action. Oh, oh, you want me to do the bit? You want, you want me to do the bit? <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, Rodney, do the bit, you know? Wow. So that, you didn't know what action meant. You didn't know what action meant. Well, Rodney is a really interesting example of, of show business. I, I uh, was working at uh, a place called Great Woods. It was mm -hmm. in Mansfield, Massachusetts. It's a center for the performing arts, like mm -hmm. concert place. Right. And uh, I Rodney know, I know over there. Did you ever perform oh, yeah. there? Did you guys perform sure. there? When did you perform there? What years? Shoot. Oh, did you perform there in the times. 80s? Several times, yeah. I bet you guys performed there when I worked there. That could be. I guarantee you did. We did a lot of shows. We played in 1984. We were on tour with Judas Priest. I'm pretty sure that hit there. Yep, and I was working there in 84. 84? Yeah. The, it was called Defense. No, I wasn't, actually, because that was before I graduated high school. I graduated high school in 85, mm -hmm. so I, I don't think I worked at Great Woods, now that I think about it, until 86 or 87. My my uh, keyboard player, Michael Lardy, is a, it, like, he's like an almanac. Like, he, he could tell you the weather, the time, what day we played there, the, the dates. Uh, I can't, really, you know? Right. But, um... So I can't really tell you when, when it was. Point is, I was I was there backstage, yeah. and Rodney Dangerfield uh, was getting ready, and he all he had on was a bathrobe, bathrobe and slippers. He got to a certain point in his career where he liked to go on stage with a bathrobe on. <laughs> he just did, like gave zero fucks. He was like in his sixties, I think, at the time. Sure. I'm not sure how old he was, mm -hmm. somewhere around the sixties. But he was just so relaxed and so loose that he felt most comfortable on stage with a bathrobe on and no underwear. He would just go like they would all laugh, like the guys would laugh, like his fucking balls would be hanging out of his uh, out of his his bathrobe, and he'd just be hanging out backstage. Hey, what? Are you, hey, help yourself. You want a sandwich? Come on in, kid. You know, like yeah, super friendly and relaxed. He, he's a friendly man and a sweet man, but he really felt that they say he was a really tortured soul from from like his childhood. Like his parents hated him, and his mother, you know, didn't show him any love and all this stuff. That's so, why you make a comedian. Yeah, and and. <laughs> 
What they said was, is he was trying, he, he was uh, just fighting against his childhood with his material. He's, he's told people, all I have is my act. You know what I mean? Like, wow. he just felt he was so wronged in his life that he, 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 that's where he came. All his material comes from that being wronged, you know? Yeah. You know, no respect. No respect. The, the, actually, the the no respect line didn't quite come at first. He was saying, you know, with me, nothing goes right. <laughs> <laughs> but it was always jokes about how, you know, how wronged he was. And, and that's all his material stemmed from that. And it, it's actually a brilliant story because it, it's such a fighting heart story. It, it's he he had to grind so hard, harder than, you know. Than you hear normally, um, you know, even when he got on Ed Sullivan, or he auditioned for Ed Sullivan. Ed Sullivan didn't call him for like weeks. It just tortured him. It was like, am I going to have a life or no? You know, it's like if he calls, I will. If he doesn't, I won't. Wow. Like, that's how that's how crucial it was because he'd already kind of burned out in the clubs. He, he needed to get here. Mm-hmm. And, and even all the comedians were – that were interviewed saying, if you didn't do Sullivan, you just say, you ain't happening. You know what I mean? Like you literally needed that show to make your name, to get your name out. And then it became Carson and Letterman later. Yeah. Now, Carson was another problem. Um, he made a mistake. Um, someone on the staff of Carson stole some of his material after seeing him like at an improv kind of place. Well... Rodney wrote a letter to Carson saying, "Hey, you got a thief on your staff." He was blackballed. That was it. He, really? Carson was so pissed off that he literally blackballed. He didn't want Rodney on the show. Well, time elapsed, and I guess the uh, producer of the show and Johnny Carson uh, went to some club or something, and they couldn't get in. We're going to leave, and Rodney Dangerfield was there, and he goes, "I got you guys a seat." <laughs> and they came in and he, and he apologized to Johnny Carson. He said, I'm sorry, you know, I was wrong or whatever. And um, and so he had him on the show and he destroyed he, – he destroyed Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson was just in stitches laughing everything this guy said. I mean, he was brilliant. Yeah. He he was one of the greats, in my in my opinion, one of the all time greats, in a great. really unique sort of a way. His his style, very, very unique, unique. Yeah. and great in movies too, like Back to School. Yeah, I mean he was amazing, man. Was amazing. And you know he actually wrote the idea for that movie, uh, Back to School. But his idea was going back to school broke, like a total loser. And Harold Ramis said. You know, my dream was always to go back to school rich as hell, have all the money I have now. Right, right, and Go right. back like, hey, mofo, you know, <laughs> okay, I'm in school. Where's the chicks and stuff? You know what I mean? Right, right. And, and so he gave him that idea, and then they incorporated the two ideas, and, and you know, back to school it was brilliant, obviously, once he was a rich guy. You know God, I mean? that was a great fucking movie. Yeah, yeah. And then How Kenneth- about Easy Money? Oh, that was a great movie. That was too. really that was good. A great movie. I love. You couldn't Rodney smoke or drink, or else you know, for the million. You know. <laughs> and when remember when Kinnison played the teacher in uh, Back to School? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, oh that was fucking. Kinnison, great. Uh, he, he he was an amazing dude. Uh, he was a very big music fan. Yeah, he, you know, musician he, himself. He really liked to. Um, in fact, our producer of our very first album, Michael Wagner, he did Wild Thing. You know, that ah, Wild yeah, Thing. That they was had the great. video and everything. Yeah. yeah. He actually recorded that. and uh, Yeah, so he was around musicians. A lot I, of those. K- Kinnison is, uh, he's, in my opinion, he was the greatest of all time for like two years. But he's a great lesson, too, for comedians, yeah. too, because 
he he went from, in my opinion, being one of the greatest of all time to towards the end of his career, he was terrible. He just yeah. it just became. Do you think? Um, do you think the drugs? Yes. Made, put, to, play in that yeah. oh yeah i do too 100 percent. I, I, I think coke that's why i think that um you know they uh, that's a perfect uh metaphor or whatever for wasted talent because if somebody's really strong and kicking ass i don't think it's a, a coincidence that the guy's doing a lot of blow now and his show is kind of going downhill mm-hmm. you know what i mean I, you, you got to put those two together 100 percent. i'm playing the most consistent i've ever played I, especially you know since i've been sober for i you know going on six years but you know you feel similar from day to day you're not waking up in pain and right and, and having to fight to be normal and all that you're not going to do what you do at your, you're not going to be at your best when you're doing this stuff to your body you're not treating yourself well yeah I play more consistent now than I've ever played in my life from show to show. I believe I it. I mean, I, and and I really pump myself up. I, I don't go out to just entertain people. I want their jaws dropped. I want to impress the crap out of them, you know. And, and um, because I think that if you're if you put that much effort into a show, going for the pulverize level, and you. And you maybe have an off night, and you only entertain them, not not else lost. You know what I mean? Right. But if you just want to go out there and just entertain people and play your songs, you know, let's rock. Let come on, let's rock. Mm-hmm. You know, that just doesn't get it for me. One of the problems I have is the twenty two hours in between. You know, the show. I mean, you're waiting, you're traveling, and you're doing all this stuff just for this two hours. It's like I want to get the maximum out of that two hours. You know, I don't want all this traveling to be a waste. Right. Like I've heard it said, they they pay me to travel, but I, I play for free. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to put it. It's the hardest thing about. Like if you talk to any boxers, they say the easiest thing about the boxing is the fight. Right. It's like it's the training and getting up at four in the morning and you know drinking raw eggs or whatever else you you guys. I don't do. think they do that anymore. Not drinking rye eggs. That's no. just in the movie. Yeah, that's just in that movie. But uh, yeah, I get that. But you know what I'm saying? It's yes, like, the preparation's the most difficult aspect. Of preparation's it for sure. everything. It's yeah. uh, even in pool. I think um, you know Shane Van Boning. There's a reason he's number one. I think he practices more than everyone. Oh, he practices eight at hours everything. a day. Everything at, yeah. at, at the break. At you know mm-hmm. shot making. Well, I was um, I was there for I've been there for a couple of his matches live, um, but one of them uh, where he played Earl Strickland, mm-hmm. and after the match we all went to the pool hall and Shane played by himself for hours. I mean yeah. hours and hours and hours, just pocketing good. balls, setting up shots, pocketing balls, and just kept doing it, just yeah. kept doing it. And then after he got done doing that, then he played three cushion billiards by himself. <laughs> oh wow! I mean he just. He's just a machine, and He's that's machine. how you become successful. Yeah, your absolutely. attitude, like that attitude about performing, is just a—it's it, so important, and it's so important because that attitude of gratitude, of respecting what you're doing, and yeah. loving what you're doing, and really being enthusiastic about the performance, absolutely, and wanting people to have a great time is everything. It's not ego. It's everything. It's not about your ego. I don't really believe that. I just want to give people their money's worth. Yes, and, and giving my all, like really feeling like I gave them. Everything I had available, yeah, it, it it makes you feel like you got some self worth, you know, and and uh, and plus you get people going, whoa, did you see that, you yeah. know, and 
Man, I want to give them their money's worth. You Fuck know? yeah. Well, no. you're the only guy that can provide the Mark Kendall experience. I mean, you, you <laughs> are Mark Kendall. If they want to go see you, you're the only guy that can do it. Like, I said that to my friend Ari once, and I, I, it stuck with me after I said it. I'm like, wow, it's so true. We were talking about comedy and performing, and he was just starting to build a following. And I said, dude, I go, if you're an Ari Shafir fan, and I'm an Ari, Ari Shafir fan, mm. You're the only guy that can provide Ari Shafir. Like, there's no, another guy might be able to steal your jokes. Another guy might be able to try to mimic your delivery. But if I want to go see this crazy motherfucker named Ari Shafir, <laughs> you're the only guy that can give that to people. You're the right. only one out there that's Ari Shafir. Sure. And he was like, "Wow, that's that's totally true." I'm like, "It's totally true. Like, yeah. you're, it's your responsibility as the keeper of the Ari Shafir act, the Ari Shafir material, and and you know, and, and you as a human." Got to mm. go out there, and you're the only one that can do it. And people out there are fans, and they want to go see it, and you're the only one that can provide that. And you got to kind of, and Ari does, but there's some comedians who don't. Like, I've seen comedians go on stage and just completely phone it in and half-ass it, yeah. trying out new material, because they just, didn't care if the yeah. audience got a good show, because the audience should just be happy that they're there. Like that's I can feel attitude. that. I can feel that with just about any entertaining, you know, uh, whether it be a comedian, a band, I can tell when someone is going through the motions, mm. and I know the fans can read that too. I yes. never the, – the way that we've as a band have eliminated going through the motions is allowing ourselves the freedom to make new music. If it wasn't for – if I was just some oldies band, we, we would have probably been over 20 years ago because I'm not going to go out and just play once bit and twice shy once a year. And, right. You know, I mean I need to be creative. That's why I got into playing guitar is because – Wow, you can make up stuff, you know, and I want to continue to break, make up stuff, you know, and that that's what keeps me going. Also, we do a lot of stretch out jams and stuff that are different from night to night, so I don't know what's going to happen mm. before it does, you know. Right. So that's the way I eliminate going through the motions, but um, you know, I I think uh, that's even for a comedian, it's writing new jokes, trying out new things. Um, keep it fresh for you don't you think no doubt no doubt and i think that's an important point that i wanted to ask you about um mm -hmm. with when it comes to music with some bands they reach a certain point and then all anybody wants to hear is their old stuff yeah they don't want to hear new music like there's cer certain bands they'll, they'll go and someone will yell do this do that mm -hmm. and then they're like oh we got a new song and people are like oh <laughs> fucking new song well i don't know if they're gonna go uh but that could be, but um, one thing we don't do, and that's is bombard people with new music. Mm -hmm. We're not going to go out there and play like ten new songs or anything. I mean, but why not? We want to I mean, give them all what they want, right? Unless we were just going on a tour to play our new album. I mean, that that's one thing, or maybe just play a few shows like that. We're just going to play the Elation record, where you know. Or whatever. Um, but is that sort of a, a thing that happens to rock bands? They get yeah. kind of trapped by their past success. Yeah. Um, I don't know if trapped no, is quite the right word. But, word. but um, you know, I, I take it as a, a total blessing that we have those songs. Right. Uh, when we play these songs, I still like playing them. It, we're playing for a different audience every night. It's not like if we're standing over there playing the song for the same guy over and over and over, <laughs> they would probably get old. But we got different, you know, different response. Um, it's a different feel that night, you know. We stretch it out. We bring the crowd into the show. I mean, we do different things, you know. But um, I don't mind – I. When I hear us on the radio, even today, I get 
tingles, you know. So um, going out and playing the stuff that people want to hear it isn't a problem with me. It's just I don't want to just only do that. Right. I, I want to incorporate new new things, and and a lot of the people like some of our new stuff too. But the, what what is it though about it? What I was going to get to is because it's so completely different than a comedian. Comedians have to have new material all the time. The last thing anybody wants to hear, usually for the most part, is an old bit. Like sometimes right. people will request they like want to hear something mm-hmm. again. You know they that they're that's a classic, but mm-hmm. they want at least like seventy percent of it to be new. You know oh. they want almost as as much new stuff. Like a few classics thrown in is great, but the last thing you want to hear when you go see a comedian is the same act in the same order that you right. saw five years ago. That would be horrific. It well yeah if it was the same I mean. Even like majorly pro bands, I'm talking like, you know, well, you know, I mean, just any band, they go do a similar show every night on a certain tour. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe they're not going to come back and do that, give you that same look again next year. But, but I, I've even like we did a tour with Kiss and every night they were saying the same thing to the audience. It was like, you know, cookie cutter yeah. reaction, you know, it's like, oh, and now he's going to say this, you know. So it, it's, uh, how many of y'all like cold gin? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> word for word, man. He's not going to mess it up. Uh, Somebody so. made a video or a, a CD, rather, of all of Paul Stanley's uh, in-between banter, in-between uh-huh. songs. It's fucking brilliant. It really really uh, powerful in the sense like it, their live album, the one they did years and years and years ago, was the most sought after best selling uh, you know and some of those things that he said in between the songs became very famous you know, you know like the cold gen thing you know i mean it, it's pretty cool yeah that's awesome ace, ace freely is actually going to be on this podcast april uh 23rd oh good good I'm fucking very I, i'm excited very, i'm happy that. to hear that because um one thing and, and i'm not going to take sides or do any kind of stuff but i i really feel bad um, you know that they're not being given I- any credit from their former bandmates. You know, to just write them off as hired guns when they were part of—I mean, that drummer Peter Chris wrote their biggest selling, biggest hit of the band's career um, on paper, at yeah. least. You know that that. So to, to just call them hired guns that were in our band a long time ago. I understand that they're bitter because of addiction problems and stuff like that, but um, you, you shouldn't, you know, throw your brothers under the bus. Uh, you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and speak for them, but I, I'm just saying I, I, I feel bad because when I was a young teenager, just about every one of my friends were playing air guitar to uh, Ace Freely. <laughs> you know what I mean? Ace! Yeah! <laughs> you know what I mean? Just... uh noodling in the air and i i just think he should get some kind of credit but. i agree uh i'm uh, you know i i don't know the ins and the outs of their disputes nor with do Peter i chris and, nor do i but i do know that um ace freely was I'm, i was a huge fan when i was a kid i mean i think he was a huge part of the band to, you know during its uh successful years i think you know some of his songs and some of his riffs are some of my all-time favorites you know that that if kissed. I'll tell you something. He, you know, imagine this, Eddie Van Halen. You know how great he is. When they first got their record deal, and Rodney Bingenheimer actually introduced them at the uh, in Pasadena at the Pasadena Civic. 
Um, they they were signed by Warner Brothers. It was all going on. Eddie goes into the solo, and the end solo that he did was the Ace Freely solo. He actually did the Ace Freely solo. Wow. So, come on. I mean, you know, let's give this guy some credit. That, yeah. Well, Ace, bro. I don't know what it is. Ace is the man with you know, me. I, I don't know what it is, what they... What the dispute was between those guys? Who knows? Who knows? I, 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 I it's none of my it. business, and I, I, I just, in no matter what it is, I just think, you know, even if you, you hate each other or whatever, you got to give the guy his due. Just, just give him his due. I mean, still hate him forever, or whatever you're going to do, but just, <laughs> you, you can't just say he he was just a hired gun when he was such a. You know, as far as young teenagers, he was a hero to a lot of people, you know. Is that what they're saying now? Is that like. Well, they were getting inducted into the Hall of Fame and they're just basically saying that, you know, I'm not quoting anybody. I'm just saying that, you know, they were. They wanted to just have their new guys, you know, the guys that have been in the band for a long time, um, be there or, you know. They, in other words, they didn't want the, the original guys up there playing with makeup on when these other guys in their band had makeup on. Right. It was I just going to be a circus, you know. Yeah. Oh, we got two ace free, you know, we got uh, uh, two drummers with the same cat thing and, you know, and, and I totally get that. Um, well, they tried to do different characters for a while, do. remember? Did they? Yeah. Not, I, I'm not really uh, – that hip to kid, I, I don't know much about. They him. didn't try to replace Peter uh, Chris at first. They replaced Peter Chris with another dude who had different kind yeah, of thing, okay. sort of different thing. That would going make on. sense, you know, to have. But some, now so. they don't. Now they have a guy who plays Ace Freely and a guy yeah. who plays Peter Chris. Which I know who the guy is. His name Tommy Thayer. He used to be in a band called Black and Blue, like years and years ago. Um, is there a break to where you can go to the bathroom? Go to the no? bathroom now, man. Oh, just go. Yeah, go. Okay. Don't worry about it. Okay. There's lots of stuff that I could talk about. <laughs> See, ladies and gentlemen, this is the problem with having a podcast like this. A lot of people, they don't have the kind of bladder control that I've developed over years and years of uh, podcasting and working the UFC. I make a joke out of it because at the UFC, uh, Mike Goldberg, my co-host, he hates when I talk about this, but tough shit. The dude has to pee like six times every podcast, every uh, broadcast. So uh, I've developed the ability to to maintain and to hold my bladder because I'm a big boy, okay, and because I know how to handle my 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 coffee and my uh, stimulants. That's the problem, really, is when you start drinking shit like Red Bull. That stuff fucks with your bladder. Um, I uh, just announced today that I am going to be uh, in Philadelphia on uh, October 17th. October 17th, I'm at the Tower Theater. And uh, as of today, today is uh, April 10th. Uh, the pre-sale is going on right now if you go to my Twitter page. That's at Joe Rogan. And um, also this Friday night, I'm going to be at the Ice House in Pasadena, and it's uh, one of uh, the shows that Brian has put together. And I know there's some uh, funny people that are going to be on it. Christina Pazitsky is going to be on it. Um, Dave Taylor is going to be on it. I don't know the full lineup, but uh, I'm sure it'll be awesome. That Ice House is uh, one of the greatest places in the world to do stand-up. And it's also the small room, too, which the small room is really uh, a special room. It's only about 80 seats total, so it, it sells out every time, pretty much. And uh, just one of the coolest places to perform and do stand-up. 
Uh, somebody sent me this on Twitter the other day, and I wanted to show it to you, Mark, yeah. as you've gotten back. It's a picture of Jimi Hendrix when he was really young with his guitar. Oh, yeah. I have actually seen that Isn't picture that amazing? Before. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, because he played with, like, the Isley Brothers, and, and uh, you know, he played – when he was up and coming, he was playing with a lot of people. Um, that's such know, a great Little Richard picture. and stuff like that. And uh, So, yeah, he had a different look. Yeah, that's a, no one's going to see it from there. It's on my Twitter. Uh-huh. That's a, such an amazing picture, though. You know, you're around the man. MMA and, and UFC. Uh, uh, are you a fighter yourself? Are you just uh, fascinated by the sport? Or? Um, well, at this point in my life, I'd have to say I'm just fascinated by the sport. But I've done martial arts my whole life. Uh-huh. I used to compete. I used to be a Taekwondo champion. And I used oh, to right on. teach Taekwondo for a living before I became a professional comedian. And, right um, on. And I still, I still train. I yeah, I was such a great day. fan, a big fan. You know, I had a lot of tapes in the, in like the Hoist Gracie days and stuff. And all yeah, that, you know. And and one thing that blew my mind because I've always been a boxing. I'm, I'm I was a boxing fan, and you know, then I started watching the, this UFC stuff, and I was like, whoa, man, these guys, it, it's so intense. And it, it seemed like, well, at least back then, that the grapplers had. I mean, that was the nuts. As soon, mm-hmm. If it went to the ground, you were done with Hoist There's another pool term you, you just no threw in there. You just threw in there another pool term, the nuts. Yeah. Oh, People don't know. Yeah. The, the nuts means you're stealing. Yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah. you got it down. It, you got no problem. You're winning. No problem. Yeah, he's going to win every time from the ground. And, and that, that that's what amazed me. It's like, I'm thinking... You know, because Bruce Lee used to... I used to... There's no one like this guy. He, how could anybody beat him at anything? But then I wonder if a, an expert grappler somehow got a hold of him. But I, I don't think they could. Oh, listen, He's, listen, they could. Bruce Lee was oh. a, an actor, and Bruce Lee was a tremendous martial artist. Bruce mm-hmm. Lee was a real innovator, and Bruce Lee is responsible for the idea behind his Jeet Kune Do, which was that you could take all the best aspects of all the different martial arts and combine them together. So in a lot of senses, Bruce Lee was the original mixed martial arts fighter. But he had very little competition experience and very little real fighting experience amongst elite fighters like wow. at, the, at the UFC level. Yeah, I didn't know that. He was more of an actor and he was mm-hmm. uh, a great martial artist. It's not to diminish him in any way. I right. mean, who knows if the UFC had been around when he was, uh, uh, I mean, if he was born in this era and, mm. you know, the UFC was around while he was at the age that he would want to compete at, who knows? He might have been in there and he, he might have been a champion. But the reality of the situation is what he was was just a guy who was a, a great martial artist who was ahead of his time and a, right. a true true innovator but to say that a guy like Henan Barrow who's the UFC bantamweight champion right. who would be the guy that he would compete against to say that you know he wouldn't be able to catch Bruce Lee's he would fuck Bruce Lee up. Believe oh, me. wow. If they, I mean, See, just, I don't know things like this. This is interesting to me. If it, I mean, if they both were, if you took the Bruce Lee from the movies and the Hen and Burrell from the UFC, from, you know, like pulled them out of a time machine and stuck them into the octagon, Hen and Burrell would have his way with them. I mean, it's just, he's a, just a completely evolved 
fully trained mixed martial arts fighter at the very highest level of every single aspect of the game. It doesn't mean that Bruce Lee couldn't have reached that level as well. Mm-hmm. He's, I mean, he was amazing. You watch some of the fight scenes. There was no one in that time that was throwing kicks the way Bruce Lee was. It seems incredible to me. Amazing. His yeah. movement, his speed, and his also... His speed is insane. His, his understanding of choreography and the drama and excitement of what he was doing in those movies was just unprecedented. Mm-hmm. There was nobody like him. I mean, I'm a huge, huge Bruce Lee fan, but if Bruce Lee fought Hen and Burrell, my money's on the Brazilian. <laughs> I mean, without a doubt. But that's just... Reality, you right? Know? Sure, sure. I mean, I'm so a you're huge... not taking anything away from Bruce no. Lee. You're just saying, just stating the fact. I'm a know? huge Chuck Norris fan, but if right. you know Chuck Norris had to fight the the elite of the elite in mixed martial arts as well, mm-hmm. I mean, he would have to be in that game and train in that game, sure. get to that level, and then you would see. But you can't know. It's like saying, man, if Tom Cruise played professionally, God, he would beat everybody. I saw him in The Color of Money. <laughs> Come on, man. Imagine, you know, imagine if Tom Cruise had to play Shane Van Boney. Yeah, he can get away from get me. He'd get robbed. He'll get away from me, too. <laughs> he'd get away from everybody. Well, he probably can't even play anymore. That no, was the thing. Like, there's only a few guys that have ever like really pulled off looking like a pool player in a movie. Like Tom Cruise, he did. Sort of did it. He sort of did. But if you see some of the shots where he's setting up, uh, his uh, mechanics. mechanics look a little bit hokey. Yeah. a couple times. But Paul Newman in The Hustler was not very good. I mean, it was awkward. His 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 acting was fantastic. He's yeah, brilliant at the performance, but. You watch him shoot things like that bank combination. The bank combination. So That's whack. something you would never see. Not only really that, you that. know it was an accident. You know they told him to just knock some balls around and, yeah. you know, we'll just... Who's going to call that shot? No one in, in history. I mean, ever. Like, it's a stupid it, shot. Yeah, yeah. No one would do you're it. You're playing straight pool, you're going to play say, or you're, you're going to do something else. Yeah. He tried to make a bank shot and he didn't even realize that he was going to make a combination, made a combination, yeah. and then everybody clapped like it was real. But Jackie Gleason could play. Oh, like yeah. If you look at Jackie so he ran Gleason. 100, he can run 100 balls. He, yeah. he was uh, uh, actually used to hustle pool before he even acted. I mean, he, he was like, for real. Well, you can see his he stroke. He's oh, got yeah. a very gentle stroke. Mm-hmm. Like, you can see the way he's holding the cue. Absolutely. That's a, he's a real pool player. So there's only a few of those guys that have ever, like, played in movies and looked... Looked legit. Gleason could really play. Yeah, uh, he could really play. He was a, he was a, actually a hustler, and and I know for a fact that he was a good player. Paul Sorvino apparently can really play too. I don't even know. I I have heard that. I don't know how good he was. Um, I haven't heard of anyone that played Gleason speed from like Jay Helford or something who who kind of would know. I, uh, but that that's all I've heard. I I know I couldn't get there with that guy. Yeah, there was uh, there was a few guys throughout history that have played like pretty good. Uh huh. But everybody says that Jackie Gleason was probably the the all time best guy. Yeah. As far as like, and and I think a lot of that reason is because he was a pool player before actor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's right? big. It's like with John Schmidt. You, you know John, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, yeah. yeah. He was a golfer before a pool player. That, really. And, yeah, I mean, he literally golfed with Tiger Tiger Woods in, in college, and he played like state events and and all this stuff. And he's a scratch golfer, so he goes, you know, any pool player that wants to play me in golf for money can get 
like strokes from me. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's interesting because that he, he went was a into golfer that. before he was a pool player. But it's interesting that he went into pool over golf because there's so much more money in golf. Yeah, I don't really have the answers for that. When he met Bobby Hunter years ago, supposedly he was working at a golf course. Um, I really don't know why he wouldn't go pro. Um, but he even said, I guess back then when he was like, I don't know, 17 or 18, that Tiger Woods was the best golfer, but he said that he could probably never compete on the PGA level. And he, and he said that it, he, he was saying that I'd not, not make a good uh, talent. Oh, John Schmidt yeah. could. He goes, yeah, yeah, Tiger Woods is better than all of us, but I don't, I don't think he could ever like make it on the PGA Tour. Or he thought that about Tiger Woods? Yeah, yeah. he goes, I, I wouldn't make a very good talent agent or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so know, that's get, hilarious. So he, yeah. he thought back then that Tiger had no chance. He just said he, you know, because his thinking was, uh, you know, we're college guys. I mean, he's really good, but, uh, you know, he's not going to go out and beat, you know, whoever. It was just, you know, kind of the thinking at that time. Obviously, he's got a lot of tons of respect for Tiger Woods. Well, Tiger Woods is another perfect example of a guy who just completely driven through himself into this one discipline and just yes. had a dad who was also completely obsessed by it. And- sure. Just put all of his time and effort into it. When you look at guys that do things really great, you know, and and guys that are, you know, really good or whatever, it's usually the really great guy that has worked harder. Hmm. You know, he might have some natural ability, which helps, but it's with Shane Van, almost every walk of life when I see somebody that just totally blows my mind, they worked harder. Yeah. They put more hours in or whatever. Yeah, the perfect storm is the guy who's got natural ability, loves what he does, and works harder. That's right. the perfect storm. Oh, that is perfect. If you love yeah. what you're doing and you work hard at it, you really are giving your maximum effort. I mean, what what else can you ask from yourself? Yeah, pursuit of excellence. That's yeah. the, the and man, that that is And it's beautiful no matter what walk of life it's in to watch. Mm-hmm. I love to watch somebody do something that's really hard to do but they just do it effortless yeah <laughs> like in pool I, I just can't believe how I, I, that's why i have so much respect for the game because i know how difficult it is from mm-hmm. my own experience right when a guy gets up there and runs 200 and makes it look hard when i'm like you know killing myself to run 55 you know the other day i ran 55 i'm like calling friends i'm going dude i just ran 55 you know right but it, it's like the Get up and just run a hundred, you know, at will and stuff like that. It's, well, or, I've always said that pool is an art form that can only be appreciated by people who play it. I, like, I, if you don't play pool, you're really not going to be able to appreciate what's I, going I, on. I, I kind of have to agree with that because that that's why I was so uh, kind of happy that a guy like you that's really busy in the business or whatever uh, knows about pool. You know, just like somebody. Away from pool knows about it. He knows what these guys go through and stuff, you know? Yeah. I just thought that that was really neat. You know, Jay kind of, I've heard him talk about you and stuff. And, and uh, I've known Jay since the 90s. I think I met Jay in 94. Wow. I think I met Jay when he was um, when he was doing CJ Wiley's big professional tournaments in 94. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's heavy. I, I didn't know you've been around that long. Yeah, uh, well, that's when I first moved to LA. I mean, I didn't know you known pool guy, you know, the pool world that long. Oh, I was involved in pool before that. I was. I think I started playing in 1990. I think that's when I really first started playing. And uh, became awesome. completely obsessed. That's right around the time that I moved to New York. 
Uh, I had uh, had oh. a knee injury. I couldn't work out for a while, and uh, just to kill time with my friends, I started playing pool and just got obsessed. Where'd you play at? There's a place called Executive Billiards in White Plains, New York. Still oh, there, okay. But now it's like a fucking disco. I played in a few a few of those rooms out there. Well, I also played in uh, a lot of the uh, rooms in the area. Like uh, I played a lot of Chelsea Billiards in New oh, York. Oh, Chelsea, City. yeah. West yeah, End. I've been there. I've been there. West End Billiards. Is that where in Elizabeth, uh, New Jersey? Is that where Ginky used to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I was friends yeah, with he used Ginky. to play there. Me too. Yeah, me too. In fact. When I heard that he was um, kind of experiencing a little bit of a, a problem with the pills, mm-hmm. I was going to reach out to him, and he died. Yeah, like before. But I thought about it because he was doing an interview, and I watched it. I watched an interview with Jose Perica on just some random site. I was just not even looking for anything. I just happened to see it. I go, oh man, I want I want to see this. Um, and I saw his interview. And he, he'd been sober. He he had some back stuff and he, he was taking uh, narcotics for it and stuff like that, you know, and got kind of caught up in it. But he said he he hadn't been doing it for a long time. He was doing doing well. And I reach out to struggling addicts. That's what I kind of do. I, mm-hmm. I just every once in a while to say, hey, man, if anybody out there is uh, struggling and wants to try to get sober, I'm available to be your sober friend. You know, that's, oh, that's all, very cool. That's what I offer. I just offer my friendship, support. You know, I have my own support group and stuff like that. But, um, anyways, I was going to do that to him, and and especially because I knew him, anyways. Not we weren't close friends or anything, but I steered him around when he was out here. We, we, right. You know, we kind of hung out a little bit. You know, and um, and and I was really bummed that I was a little late on that, but I didn't know because he said he was. Not using and not not taking the. He wasn't being honest, George. Uh, maybe, maybe. I I knew George um, from the nineties. I mean, I, I knew him way, way, way back in the day when he was a pretty decent player. Oh, and he was yeah. sort of coming up. Great player. But he was always squeaky clean. He always drank right. water, no cigarettes, squeaky. no alcohol, no drugs. But he had that back injury, and man, pills are a motherfucker. Neck, yeah. He uh, he had. Uh, what was wrong with him? Did it come from a car of, accident? Some kind of a disc. Uh, Neck, but where did it come from? I don't know. Was it a? I wonder if it's from pool itself. I don't know. It was some kind of. I had a back injury from jujitsu, um, and it would flare up when I would play pool. There's something about the position of being over a table, like bent over a table, like Mm -hmm. because you know when you're playing, you kind of have your head back. Sure. And there was something about that. I have a muscle that kind of pokes out a little bit that I have to deal with. Do you ever try deep tissue massage for that? I've tried a lot of different things, yeah, but um, the person I've used the last couple times doesn't quite go hard enough. I wish he was just a little bit more mm-hmm. power. Right. Maybe I need- Just got to go to another person. Yeah. You got to find someone who hurts you. You yeah, got to- Like a rolfer. You ever yeah. get rolfing done? Rolfing? No, rolfing? No. Rolfing is like a particularly brutal type of massage that doesn't oh. feel good at all. <laughs> like it's, bruises you and stuff. It's- <laughs> Well, they're, they're manipulating- I shouldn't- quote exactly what they do because there's a lot of dispute about what's really going on when they're doing it but what they're doing is essentially is absolutely brutal massage that relaxes everything in in your muscles i mean it's really unbelievably painful while it's happening not unbelievably you can believe it i mean it's not like they're sawing your leg off with a rusty hatchet but it it sucks but when it's over man you feel great i don't know how versed you are as far as the body i i mean um 
because I just kind of go, oh, wow, when I push here, it hurts here or something. You know what I mean? Right. I'm not, you know, a doctor. I, I, I mean, I haven't studied the anatomy of a back or whatever, but um, this one person that I used to go to, she did things to my neck that m- caused so much relief in my back mm-hmm. just by working my neck. Yeah. It was like really crazy how the body works sometimes like, it's all connected. Work, yeah. yeah. Like you're working on one spot and I get a little relief right here. From down well, or having a person who's really good at deep tissue massage and sports massage and someone who really understands the, the connective tissue, mm-hmm. you could relieve a lot of tension in your back. It's, it's, it's such an important thing. And huge amongst athletes. Like athletes go for deep tissue massage on a regular basis for that very reason, just because it offers relief. It allows the muscles to heal more properly, allows mm-hmm. more more circulation in the area. A lot of things they're doing now that are just incredible are, one of them, there's this cryo thing they're doing where athletes will work out really hard and they step in this thing that uses liquid nitrogen to bring the temperature down like 150 below zero wow. and they, they stand in it for like two minutes and then they, <laughs> they get out and the, the, the incredible cold causes all your vessels to constrict. Right. And then when you get out of it, everything dilates and it, it's like, it this, opens up yeah. your system. Or mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. It's massive release. That, that's crazy. And, and flowing of the blood and removing, now, you of, know, I don't take a lot of, you know, I don't take really vitamins even. I just, no? No. To eat I really was wondering healthy? if before I go, I was wondering if you could like kind of hook me up with some kind of vitamin regimen. Sure. Absolutely. And I'll, and I'll, well, I'm going to get into some cardio thing, action. Most important thing is food. That's okay. number one. Right. Mo- most important thing is eat healthy food. Okay. Um, once you've got the healthy food covered, then uh, supplementation is, is a good second approach. Mm-hmm. But the first approach should always be the diet itself, the mm-hmm. food itself. Okay. Like eating healthy food is one of the best things you could do for yourself. And okay. It's one of the things that so many people like ignore. Like salmon and things like uh, just vegetables. very vegetables. Vegetables are huge. It's okay. one of the number one things that people ignore when it comes to their diet is mm-hmm. fresh Healthy vegetables, clean vegetables, right. eating cooked and uncooked, raw, you know, blended just juices, just eating salads, just green leafy vegetables are so important for your body. And it's something that we just don't get enough. I mean, if you, when you're talking about phytonutrients, you're talking about minerals, all the different things that you get from vegetables, mm-hmm. they're, they're one of the most important things that people are deficient from in their diet. Being minerally yeah. deficient, being nutritionally deficient, right. a lot of it is because of a lack of green leafy vegetables, healthy vegetables, organic vegetables, and, and healthy proteins on top of that. once you, What are you doing over there? What oh, sorry. What is that? It's a pick. Oh. <laughs> Playing guitar. I'm writing in. I wrote a whole album while you were talking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but but vitamins are good also to cover all your bases as far as like uh, adding additional nutrition to your, your diet to make sure that mm-hmm. you're optimizing everything. It's not mm-hmm. like you'll hear like, oh, you don't need multivitamins. You're fine without them. They're not necessary. Sure, you can live without them, but you're not looking to just live. You're looking to be fully optimized. You feel good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The best way also is to go to someone who can monitor your blood work. Get your blood work done and find out. You might say, well, the, might, the doctor might look at you like, hey, you're low in vitamin D. You're low in vitamin B12. You could use some C wow. in your diet. 
Yeah, go to someone who's okay. a, a real a, a real doctor, an expert in nutrition, an expert in vitamins, and right. and someone who can m- actually do some blood work on you. And then from That's there, awesome, go to a nutritionist. Get get someone who you know you can get like there's there's a bunch of different uh, there's a, a company that we use. I, f- I forget the name of it because we just started using it. Where they deliver healthy meals to your house, prepackaged. They do it two or three times a week really? and you put them in the refrigerator and it's like super healthy organic foods and you, you pre-made. We so do you- try to eat organic. I mean, my wife shops at Trader Joe's and, you know, she gets stuff that's, I guess, you know, better for me and stuff. So <laughs> it's like you trailed off, I guess, stuff, whatever. <laughs> well, it's, you know, people like food that tastes delicious. It's yeah. that's that Matt, sensation. Really bad for you. Yummy food. To eat a nice fat burger at 2 o'clock right. in the morning just dripping no with no fucking oil. I know, I know. Oh, so glorious, though. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the problem is that French fries taste great. Now, with, with your diet, I mean, okay – you know vegetables. I know. I know you like to eat right. Do you ever go off that and yeah. just go? I don't want a burger. Fuck man. yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. I believe in cheat days. I, okay. I, I believe in at least cheat meals. You know? yeah, My yeah, friend every, Mike Dolce calls them reward meals or earned meals. You know, yeah, you're, that makes sense. Yeah, because you're taking care of it. You're treating yourself good for the most part. Yeah, you, yeah, I treat myself good, and then you know the thing is though, if I do do it and I'll go off and I'll have like some Krispy Kreme donuts, I feel like <laughs> Krispy Kreme. I feel like such shit. Physically. Oh yeah. It's like, was I, that know, really worth it? I've done that before where I, I'll have McDonald's and just swear it off like I'll have a, a Big Mac or something. And it's like, I feel so bad and disgusting. <laughs> and fuck, my, I, I just want to throw up. I feel so horrible. Like somebody kicked me in the stomach or something. And then it's like I make myself forget about it. And like, you know, four months later, I'll have a Big Mac again. Yeah. It's like, why am I eating this every time I say the same thing? So, well, yeah. during the the process of eating, though, that mouth pleasure is pretty undeniable. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. That's what it is: is the no. the mouth pleasure that that you're getting ask while it, you're eating. Now, it. Let me uh, ask you this: um, one thing I've noticed, and I, I don't, I think it's because they do some kind of a different oil or, or something, but French fries from like McDonald's, Burger King, all all these type places has this taste, and I call it kerosene mixed with dirt or something <laughs> this aftertaste is so nasty i'm camp- I, and i don't know why more people aren't speaking about it like do you just eat these fries like they're good or something i'm tasting this taste in my mouth is disgusting it's hmm. not old school taste like well they can't fuck with in and out in and out's got the no, in and out's always time. perfect those fries are fresh. That's one of the and reasons. And they're um, uh, it's privately owned. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't have any freaky oil coming in. Yeah. Or, you if know. you want to go off the diet, In and Out's the best way to do it because you could also get it protein style, where you get a, a burger that's just on a lettuce, like the lettuce yeah, is yeah, on the I've top. Seen, I've seen that. Fantastic. My daughter does yeah. stuff that's not on the menu and stuff like that. Well, the protein style is just they do <sighs> lettuce instead of bun. They put lettuce on the outside. But yeah, they actually have a potato and they put it through. Yeah, the real potato. You can yeah. watch them do it. That's badass. Yeah, it's totally fresh, and the fries have a completely different taste because of that. I've I've heard the reason you know this thing I'm talking about where the the fries have this aftertaste that's nasty is because the um, FDA or whatever uh, approved some kind of oil they can use, and they reuse it, and it's okay or something. Uh. It causes this aftertaste that's in more than one uh, franchise, you, you know, 
So, and other people I've, I've spoken with have tasted it as well. It's just they don't um, hate it as much as me. Well, I'm sure. I mean, most fast food is cooked in the unhealthiest oil. There's yeah. an article. Here's an article that was uh, in um, on uh, ABC.com. And they're mm-hmm. talking about most French fries served in U.S. restaurants are immersed in corn-based oil, usually considered the worst oil for human health, before they're fried. Corn oil contains copious amounts of saturated fat known to contribute to heart disease. This type of oil is also low in monosaturated fat, which most Americans need more of, and high in polyunsaturated fat, which is in too large quantities can lower HDL, which is your good cholesterol, along with LDL, your bad cholesterol. Oh, it's not Did you hear when that um, uh, the naked chef or whatever, like... Just tried to boycott McDonald's, saying it's not it's not safe for human consumption. Who's the and, naked chef? Uh, he's just some one of these chef health chef dudes from England or something. He's a pretty young guy. I, I thought that was his name. Might the not. naked chef? I might have the yeah, wrong. It's Jamie Oliver. Jamie Oliver's his name. He calls himself the naked chef. Yeah. Okay. You know who I'm talking about? Yeah. And um, he was talking about all these ingredients in McDonald's that were like really bad and not not safe for human consumption and so they changed a bunch of stuff like well he, that's great he was successful at, at uh that's great i mean i yeah. think that look there's a lot of things that people eat that they should be allowed to eat things that are unhealthy i mean you should be allowed to go to Krispy Kreme donuts when you're going to Krispy Kreme donuts if you think that it's healthy you're a fucking idiot all right <laughs> You know, I mean, if you think you're getting one of those cream-filled, delicious, sugar-coated monstrosities, if you think somehow or another that's good for you, you're a moron. That's on you. I mean, if you're going there and not going to Whole Foods and, you know, getting fresh vegetables, but it should be able to exist because you should be able to go and get a donut if you want one. There's right, nothing right. wrong with it. It's just a matter of managing your health, a matter of managing the input. What's coming right. in? What's going out? What, what are you doing for exercise? What are you doing for health? And then if you yeah. want on Sunday to throw a fucking ice cream Sunday in the mix, whatever, mm-hmm. throw yeah, it in there. You're going to work it off. There's <laughs> nothing wrong with it. It's not even working it off. It's just no. a matter of making sure that the balance of your diet is healthy. Yeah, I get that, man. That, that's cool. And occasionally throw in some, but you could also make healthy choices as far as like what you throw in. You know, you could throw in some better stuff. You can throw in some, you know, there's some terrible things for you. And there's some things that well, might not be the best thing in the world for you, like pizza with vegetables on it. It might not be the worst thing in the world for no, you, no, no, no. but it's not the best thing in the world for you. Probably because of the, uh, what, the oil and the grease and, and stuff. Just like a little that. of that, but really, I mean, as long as they use olive oil, it's actually probably good for you. The real oh, thing yeah. is the bread, the dough. We cook with olive oil, so at least I got that. Olive oil is great for you. Yeah, olive oil is fantastic for the body. You know, there's uh, there's a lot of oils that are healthy. You know, fish oil is great for you. There's a lot of oils that are coconut oil is very good for you. Mm-hmm. You know, raw coconut oil especially is fantastic for you. This uh-huh. just it's just hard to really educate yourself on what's good and what's bad. That's why, like, if you're thinking about doing it, and I know you got some money, go to a nutritionist, man. Get some of yeah. Doctor, definitely. You know, I mean, I've I told myself this year I'm really going to get into into some fitness, and I've been doing tons of sit ups every day. I've been you know working with lightweights, but I'm kind of if I was an 
if I was a, a hardcore addict, I would be at the point right now where one foot's in the door and one is out. <laughs> so yeah. I got to get serious. I mean, I really want to, I don't care if I get in a boot camp, do something, but I want to eat right and do all this stuff. You know what I mean? Why don't you try yoga? I just feel like amazing. You know, I have done a little bit. I, I practiced some yoga just on a on a video like watching this chick and just doing stuff she's doing and it's really makes you feel good uh the stretching mm -hmm. it's like really cool i was doing stuff for my lower back and it was like awesome i'm going whoa it, it it's like it 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 hurts in in kind of a you know you feel this this strain of the stretch but after you're done with it you feel the so much relief in it yes. your body the release a, yeah. yeah the release is so it's so worth the pain for that release feeling, you know? The world would be a far better place if people just committed to doing yoga a certain amount of days per week. If mm -hmm. the majority of people in this country, mm -hmm, just, mm -hmm. just the majority of people listening, just decided, I'm going to do yoga three days a week, the world would be a better place. People would be more relaxed. They'd have a better perspective. They'd be more in the moment, better balance. I mean, there's a reason why these skinny Indian dudes have been doing these same poses for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. There's there's something to it. Yeah, it's it's hard well, for stretching. Us to I was being told by the a guy that done acupuncture for me a couple times. He goes, Mark, you need to move. You need to stretch. You need to walk. You need to do something. You're getting older. And movement is so important for you. It's huge. <laughs> yeah, because if you're lazy in the sense of just being a couch person that just kind of doesn't have a lot of movement to your mm -hmm. life, that's really bad. Tension. And, and so I, I like to stretch a lot. I don't even jump out of bed. I don't even take chances like that. Like just <laughs> Take chances. <laughs> with my back. My back's kind of it's, – it's a little bit torched. I, I have to like – I do a lot of stretches and stuff and uh, – is it from uh, an injury or just from guitar, no, um, from carrying a guitar? Yeah, probably a little, little of that. You know, jumping around the stage for thirty years. You know, I'm sure that's an help. When you but, play, do you look down like a lot um, when you playing? No, no, because you I can play all. Much, I close with, my eyes most of the time. Actually, but do you find your posture like you maybe, lean maybe down? Maybe my posture is not probably not the greatest. Um, my back's not really horrible. It's just um, sometimes it goes out a little bit, or you know. I have I've had some really some of the worst pain in my back and neck from reading or from uh, writing, even, yeah, from sitting down and this this pose sure. where you're like staring at a keyboard, like the the neck forward, the the head forward yeah. pose is very bad. The whole balance you're thing, supposed it, to, yeah. The whole balance thing for me is how things happen to my back. Is I, I can be making a, a sandwich. And and something could go on my back. It's never from lifting. I, I could lift all day and I'm fine. You know, it's always right. doing something, some stupid thing that's a, a balance thing or something. Yoga, get into it, Mark Kendall. Okay, okay, do it. buddy, do it. Yeah, yeah. Tell me where you live. I'll, well, I'll after go. the show, tell me where you live. Don't say it on the air. Okay, people fucking show um, up at your house. You know, I wanted to kind of mention. Um, our website, because uh, when you go there, you can find out if we're playing in your area. It's called officialgreatwhite.com. Okay. And we're playing in Hollywood, man, this Sunday. Oh, cool. We're playing awesome. in West Virginia on Saturday, and on Sunday, we're playing to celebrate the Rainbow Barn Grill's 42nd anniversary. And wow. We're, we're headlining. The, this place is legendary. I mean, you oh, know, the yeah. stones have hung out there. I mean, you know. Um, uh, just, just every Lemmy Kilmeister from Mortarhead is there every day, like playing video games or something. But it, it has so much history behind this place that 
I'm really happy to be, you know, headlining the event to celebrate it because it's, uh, you know, the, the, for the people pl- who don't know, it really is an yeah, it, it, iconic. It's a place. rock. It, it's like every band, even if they played the Forum, you know, they would go to the Rainbow. It's yep, just such a it known, is. legendary place. You know, um, what? Where are you playing? Are you at the Rainbow? They're doing it, and the parking lot in the back, and you can actually—they're allowing people to drink alcohol. For you know, you can't do this unless this is happening. So you know, so they're allowing. Uh, it starts at two o'clock. They're having a lot of bands that were f- from back. You know, even some that haven't made it huge or whatever. You know, but, but just like that played. You know, the club scene or whatever. I mean, they have a couple that. Uh, you know, like the Bullet Boys and and uh, uh, Tracy Guns from um, uh, L.A. Guns or whatever. But, um, you know, there's a lot of local bands playing during the day and stuff. And, um, you know, we're playing West Virginia the night before in an arena with some band. But um, we got an early flight that day. We're just going to jam out and, and celebrate with these guys. Wow. That sounds awesome. That sounds really cool. Yeah, that is a real iconic place. And uh, the food's pretty good there. And 42nd anniversary, if you go there, there's going to be chicks going there. It's all free. It's were a, there it's a, 42 yeah. years ago. Oh, yeah. The same girls. <laughs> yeah. they'll, they'll show up. Yeah. Okay. And it's free. That's cool. Yeah, it's it's free because it, it's just a celebration, you know. Um Sam Kinison brought up the Rainbow Bar and Grill in his fucking HBO special. Every everybody's been there. It's uh, it was just kind of a known, you know, kind of known. I, I like the whole Hollywood history. I mean, when when our band was playing Hollywood a lot, I, I have so many good memories from from that time because it was the the music and the scene was so electric. It it was uh, you know, I mean, I played Gazaris once, and the guy painted a picture of me playing my guitar on the side of the building next to like Huey Lewis in the news and Jim Morrison and Eddie Van Halen. I I mean, I I have so many memories of just not even playing there, just going to Hollywood. I I used to go watch bands. I used to go watch Van Halen play. I used to go just hang out, you know? And uh, that's sort just, of half the fun of the rainbow is just being there and seeing all the freaks and all the cool people and all the, you know, the people like, oh, there's that guy. There's Lemmy from Motorhead. There's all these strange characters right, and right. rockers and all these people that have been around Hollywood forever. I don't really know why, you know, uh, it's just, ha- you know, it's right next to the Roxy. It's just... Um it's just one of those spots. It's one of those spots where people just get a good vibe there or something. You well, know? that strip is just, the Sunset Strip is just one of the all-time classic spots in Americana. I mean, it, it just is. really is. Where the comedy store is, the Viper Room is. It's incredible. And, and the whiskey. And the history of going back to even like Days of the Doors, I mean, uh, you know, just to know that they played the Troubadour or even, uh, you know... Uh, early days with like Linda Ronstadt her backup band was was like Don Henley and and Glenn Fry you know wow. that was their backup band and they went off and made the Eagles or whatever you that's know that's incredible so yeah it, it's it's nuts you know the the history it, it goes way beyond um the the 70s and the, and the 80s it, it's like goes back to the 60s and you know i mean you've got the doors look at how big that band is you know they're they're the type band like 
that you you don't think of them doing regular guy stuff like they're they're to me you know you know when you're a kid and you think of a band and like I know they don't drive through McDonald's like we do. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like right. you, you think like they're almost alien or something. You know what I mean? It's well, like, hasn't that the, the the mystique of that been sort of eroded by the internet? Like there was yeah. a thing the other day where Charlie Sheen was uh, having a Twitter beef with his ex-wife, right? And it was that's ridiculous. It was ridiculous. Yeah, but it was the no. that's been. That, that, that sort of thing is different now. It's like it, is different. it used to be that when a guy was a big star, that they would be sort of living up on a house behind these crazy he gates. He really and didn't know what he did. You know? Yeah, like now Elvis you play a show and, and you're on the internet. You're literally in two minutes. Yeah. People are watching your show. Uh, you know, the show you're playing in France, they're watching it in LA. And you just got done with the show like two minutes ago. Well, and then they get to read your Twitter page and when see what I was a fucking a kid, idiot you are. When I was a kid, a kid uh, it, it would literally be this much of an event. It would last all day. I'd go buy like Robin Trower's record, go to my friends. You know, we'd set up everything, man. Get the speakers outside the window and listen to this album over and over and over. Now kids download 300 songs in 20 minutes before they go to school or in their iPod or whatever it's just not it's not as personal as it used to be you know like but it's more accessible it's more accessible it's uh you know i There's i read pros and cons. i read the article with uh david Grohl or whatever from um foo fighters yeah foo fighters nirvana. And, and, and nirvana and and he makes so much sense to me because I, I went through all these things that he's talking about, which is playing with guys that don't really play that good and we're jamming in the garage and, you know, pissing off my parents and, you know, and just going through that and improving from there and just getting better, you know, whatever, instead of people just thrown together with their songs written by somebody else and all that, you know, it, it's just the, the, some of the human element has been, that's my only complaint, and it's not really a complaint. It's just I I just prefer that people play music and not machines. You know what mm, I mean? I know what you're saying. Yeah. Well, there's also the experience of going to the record store and looking at the album art and taking it that. home. And I yeah. love that. There's it's definitely like, something missing. Why am I driving 200 miles or 150 miles to do a photo shoot when I'm going to be the size of an ant on on you know yeah. like a microchip? Yeah, but or whatever. But you know, I it's not really a complaint. My whole thing is I just want to get our music to the people the best way I can. And I, if you know your way around the internet, you can you can get that done. And we just got done off this big monster cruise, and you know, thirty bands on this big ship, and we went and played on an island, and you know, it was like a, it was great. You know, so I'm. I, you know, I'm not bitter or anything. I know things are different. It's really difficult on major labels, you know, because we can go record our next album at your house on your computer. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, it, I think that puts a lot of power in the artist's hands, though. And it, it also sure does. It also puts a lot of power in their ability to promote themselves. All they yeah. need is the internet now. Exactly. And all those other closed-off avenues, like we were talking about, 
getting on the Ed Sullivan show was everything to a guy like Rodney Dangerfield. Sure. If you couldn't get on the Ed Sullivan show, you were fucked. Today, for a comic especially, boy, you don't need that at all. I mean, my friends who have become famous from the internet, like Joey Diaz and Ari Shafir and Duncan Trussell, they've only had the internet. The internet right. is all they ever needed, but right. all, they had to need, all they needed was talent and a, an avenue. In and, my days, I needed a staple gun and the posters and... Sunset Boulevard <laughs> to get people dang, to come dang, out, dang, yeah. Dang, and then they had to see the poster, and be pulse. excited by it. Like, hmm. No, great then another light. band comes by and they put it over ours. Oh, so yeah. So you got to go put yours over theirs. The wars of posters. <laughs> Still the wars. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's internet wars now. You know, there's there's definitely a lot of that. There's still a lot of fucking morons out there when it comes to that kind of stuff, but. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think it's definitely a better time as far as putting the power in the hands of the artists and these people that are yeah. the the normal cabal that were controlling the music industry. They've right. they've lost a lot of their power, right? Oh, yeah. And you know the difference now is we don't need millions of dollars to to record and and, and all that kind of promotion. And and that's why that they're the, the major labels are suffering a bit. And yeah, the. Where the power comes in is we're no no longer are we just getting our little points, you know, where mm-hmm. they're taking, you know, we make a million dollars and the record company gets, you know, 900 and <laughs> whatever. And, and, you know, they throw our crumbs, enough crumbs to where we don't like go away, but, you know. But people don't realize that. For most folks, they don't, they'd have no idea like how bad the deals were. Yeah. Especially Van Halen's first, Dale yeah. was amazingly bad, and and they even speak about it on the internet. You can go on, and they sit together, and they're actually interviewing each other uh, about the old days. You know, people think we're the bitch and rock stars, but we are. We were literally broke. They they said that their checks per week. This is during the first album were eighty eight dollars and eighty three cents or something. Yeah, and they were selling millions of albums. Yeah, yeah, millions. They, okay, here's the funny part. Um, they got off this tour. And and the record company says you owe us two million dollars, and he goes, "Okay, let me get this straight. <laughs> so if we do ten tours and sell twenty million records, we're going to owe you twenty million dollars." <laughs> <laughs> That's you know, insane. Yeah, it, it's just from all the loans and that you know the first coming out of the gate, but. Um, well, it's also just a corrupt system it, it, that it has is. too much power. It, it's corrupt, and, and you know, the being the artist when you don't have your own representation, and and you know, you just want to do anything to break out of this club scene. You know, you want to be a big band on big tours, and, and so you they take bad deals. You know, a lot right. of a lot of bands have done that. You know, they've done successful with their album sales, but their business side of it is really horrid. You know. <laughs> Yeah, that's also the difference between a business person and an artist. Like mm-hmm. a lot of artists are impulsive, and they're just not that good at things like that. They're not that they're good not. at business. And I'm one of them. I, um, you know, our deal wasn't great either. And uh, but we've kind of made up for that. We, it wasn't our whole career, but at the beginning, it, it wasn't that great. But well, it's how, it always starts off. Nobody ever says, "Oh, we got an awesome deal right out of the gate, and we we're very fortunate <laughs> to be with an ethical record company." Right. No, it's just you talk about the fucking scoundrels that signed you. Right. I mean, that's also you think about a music company. How many people do they sign? I mean, they, they might sign a hundred, and one of them might become Great White. You know, yeah. there's there's a lot of failure involved on their end too. Oh, the sure. prognostication oh, yeah. doesn't they, always you pan know, they, out. That, that's what they call their write-offs. Mm-hmm. You know, the write-up bands. But yeah. Yeah, but for a band that's successful, 
the 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 reality behind it. Did you ever read that piece that Courtney Love wrote on the um, the music business? She wrote a pretty incredible piece about explaining the expenses and how much it actually costs and what an artist actually gets paid and how much the studio gets paid right. and how they go about saying how much things are worth. I haven't read the piece, but I'm glad she wrote something like that because it'll school the audience on you know yeah it's pretty, stuff that's not their business. Pretty incredible <laughs> Just stuff. Kidding. Yeah. Well, there's a little bit of that, but it's also there no, is some, it's a, some of educational. Their yeah. You know, people will understand that. You know, we work really hard, and we're not just walking around. You know, uh, zillionaires or. Whatever. Were you bummed out when the whole Napster thing came along and people started downloading MP3s, and it just almost immediately sort of took the wind out of the sales of uh, records? Um, you know, I was bummed out even before that a little bit, but you know, I I know me like I was talking about earlier that I'm a fan uh, of music and I like to support the artists. I go out and buy their albums. You know, I. I want the artwork. I want to know who wrote the songs. I want to know where they recorded this album. I, you know, I, I just think that's part of it, and right. it's what makes the world go round in music is to support the artist. So I go out and buy a ZZ Top CD, and you know, but when somebody comes up and go, "Hey, man, I just got your new album. I copied it from my friend," it's like, well, thanks. You know, at least he's going to maybe give me some feedback and if he likes it or not, or hopefully he'll go see you live. You know, I'll that, go see us live or whatever. But yeah, um, I don't know, man. It is what uh, I'm not going to say that. That phrase. it is what it is. I have, but it is what it is. I mean, yeah. we were changing. The, the world is yeah. changing around us. Technology is forcing us to change, and we yeah. have to adapt. But the most important thing is you're still creating. You're still doing what you love. You're yeah. still doing what you're doing. And then the commerce aspect of it has to morph. It has to morph to accommodate this new environment that we live in. But mm-hmm. the environment is so beneficial in so many other ways. It's just, it just is what it is. Yeah. It, it has to change. Yeah, the, 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 there's no way you're not going to have the world change when something like the internet comes along. So yeah. all these other there's no way, but the be, the I think the benefits way outweigh the negatives, in in my opinion. Definitely, and our fans are loyal too. I mean, we go over to, you know, Sweden or you know, uh, Switzerland or whatever, and they're all there in front of the stage. You know, so so we we are blessed in that way. I mean. You know, no matter what happens in the industry, our fans have always hung, man. So it's like, you know. Well, that's because you guys appreciate it. I'm sure that has a lot to do with it. We are grateful for our fans. And I I always tell them that. And, you know, in in the the days when we were, you know, playing arenas every night, it's very difficult. You know, the, the constructed meet and greets, we can only meet a few. And you really can't go out and say, hey, you know, invite 20,000 people backstage for the party, you know. But we've really taken advantage of of being able to hear their stories, man. I mean, I'm talking like stories that I don't remember. I mean, you know, people doing my laundry and they gave me a ride here or, or, you know, they were in this certain place or this guy got married to this song or, you know, uh, got laid because – you know the, your song, this one, or you know what I mean. It's just the stories are endless, and and the, the, how you personally affected these people. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, if our music is involved in people's life on like that, because I have again, I can relate because, like I was saying earlier, I literally have visuals when I hear certain songs. You know, like I remember where I was, how old I was, what I was doing. You, you know, almost like the smell that was in the air practically, you know? And so 
when people come up and have a similar story about music that that my band was involved in, it's like you have to feel like that's a pretty uh, tall compliment, you know, to you know just be involved with that. Absolutely. Mark Kendall, you're an awesome guy, man. Thank you very much for doing this. It's Thanks, been a lot Joe. of fun. Been great having you on. Thanks for having me, man. We're going to play some pool now, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, buddy. Very exciting. Uh, <laughs> okay. We got to do this again sometime. Yeah, I'd love to, man. Thanks for And Official really Great it. White is the uh, the website. Yeah. Right? OfficialGreatWhite.com official uh, and uh, our Facebook is uh, Great White Band. And Mark Kendall underscore GW is uh, the uh, Twitter page where you can get a hold of Mark. Yeah. K E N D A L L underscore. Score GW. Thank you very much, sir. That's it. Lots of fun. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for tuning into the podcast. We'll be back. uh, We'll actually be back tomorrow. We'll be back tomorrow with uh, one of the co founders of Reddit. Um, His name is Alex. How do you say the last name? Ohanian. Ohanian. Oh. H A N I A N Ohanian. I get that is must be Alex Ohanian, uh, one of the co-founders of Reddit. He'll be on tomorrow, and then uh, next week, uh, next week, lots and lots and lots of guests, and lots and lots of guests. The week after that, uh, so we'll see you guys tomorrow. Um, thanks to Audible.com. Go to Audible.com forward slash Joe for a free audio book and thirty free days of Audible service. And thanks also to Onnit.com. That's O N N I T. Use the code word. Rogan and save 10% off any and all supplements. Much love, my friends. See you tomorrow.